This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking who attacked our country. You have declared a subliminal jihad against the United States. Can you tell us why? Everything pertaining to what's happening has never come to the surface. The world will never know the true facts of what occurred, my motives. And night fell on a different world. And Iblis is thinking, you know, I should be getting this position, not Adam, and this guy is created from dirt. And how does the army feel about you being head of the temple of Seth? And the conspiracy theorists can say what they will, but... I want you to give me power over Adam, and I want you to give me soldiers and minions and all of these things. The people have, have so much to gain and have such a material motive for putting me in a position I'm in. We'll never let the truth facts come above the to the world. And I want you to be able to give me the ability to whisper into the hearts of mankind. Welcome back to Subliminal Jihad, episode 69. I'm your co-host, Dimitri. I'm Khalid. And today, we're back for installment 7 of the Grotto of Truth Q&A series. Yeah, this is another count that's like slowly climbing. I mean, 69, 7, you know, pretty, you know, nice, mm. nice, mm. Uh, as I say, yeah. Good numbers, good numbers for today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think, and another number we can add to that is 16, because that is the amount of questions, uh, the number of questions we received this month. Yeah, that's yeah. It's definitely uh, balances out the sort of lower count that we had for the last one. Uh, there was quite a, a splurge of them. Yeah, I'm checking now to see if there were even some trickling at the last minute. But I think that I got all of them. Uh, I think you did. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think so. I was actually looking at some earlier ones. Okay. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I think I got yeah. Them. We mm-hmm. we got some big ones, and we you know we got uh, we have a lot of new acolytes in the Grotta Discord this month. Yes. So mm-hmm. welcome to everyone, and to everyone who submitted yes. their question for the first time. They're all pretty chill, and I think yeah. we're the Grotto is growing. Yeah. It, it was is. still crazy to me when I added everyone like once in the Grotto to remind them about the. Q&A coming up and it's like you're adding like 50 people or whatever are you sure you want to do this like I'm like wow damn, <laughs> yeah that was a while ago yeah. so mm-hmm. you know the the ranks of the acolytes ago, yeah. are are uh, are yeah, growing have, like, and 77 in the grotto now uh they're mm-hmm. just offline mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. so we're online if anybody wants to get into the next wave it, you may know how this works. If you sign up for our Patreon, you get access to the Grotto of Truth Discord. You'll become an acolyte, and then you can ask us questions in our questions tab, and we will answer them mm-hmm. on these monthly episodes. We will. Yes. Yeah, we will answer and, all of them. Um, good vibes, even though we kind of, uh, I, I think we, we sort of perhaps foolishly uh, sort of encouraged people to come harass us last month. Uh, nobody, um, uh, to my knowledge, yeah, has. So uh, that's... At least not that we know of. But. Yeah, no. Well, we we didn't release last month's episode until recently, so the people who True. are coming to harass us based on that will not come until a little bit later. One would expect. Until Grotto Q and A eight. 
<clears throat> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but, you know, okay. So we'll, you know, we got a lot today. We might have to split this up into two sessions. But I think it's going to have to happen. Uh, yeah, because they're meaty it might ones. Have to happen. And they're also, yeah, uh, there's also a lot of them. So this might have to be a, a, six, uh, a 7A and a 7B situation. But let's see. Maybe we can be succinct. <laughs> maybe we can. Uh, we'll see. We'll yeah, see. maybe for the first uh, but, time. Yeah, maybe today the sun will be blue or whatever. Uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, uh, I'll try no not to make a reason. joke about how it's not going to be seven hours and then it ends up being seven hours like our Eagles episode. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I'll try not to curse us. But, you know, speaking of nebulous curses, uh, I guess I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll read our first question here. Yeah, let's Which, launch in. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, so our first question is from Young Howler, and they ask, what are your opinions on the moon? I feel like the whole lunacy phenomenon or the whole emotional, psychological changes that occur based on the phases of the moon, especially the full moon, even though it's constantly being hand-waved away by big science, is totally observable in myself, in other people, and unmistakably in my cat Linus and other animals. But phew, Linus really goes ham. Does the influence that the moon is seemingly able to exert on our inner lives lend as much credence to the wider influence of the heavenly spheres, i.e. the basic tenets of astrology, as I think it does? Hmm, I wonder, I mean, I wonder if the uh, effect of the moon has to do more with the effect of the moon, the more uh, palpable effect of the moon on the senses, uh, or the more direct effect of the moon on the senses. You know, if there's a beautiful moon in the sky, a huge moon, and there's a lot of light, or it has a sort of certain, it creates a certain atmosphere that I think can affect emotions more directly than Mars can, uh, for instance. Mm -hmm. Not to say that there isn't anything to the idea that maybe the planets do influence uh, things on Earth, or they can affect uh, the uh, unfolding of events in, in some way or that there's a, some kind of structure linking the way that things transpire on Earth with the, the rest of the solar system and even beyond. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, yeah. I mean, there's multiple astrological systems, so whether there is such a thing like that, there's at least di- like a lot of discrepancy in terms of the imagination of how that actually works. Uh, so yeah. it's not like they're yeah. So the, that basic premise is is shared widely, but the actual understanding of the system and, and what means what is like vastly disagreed upon. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I I don't yeah, I don't I mean. Hmm. I don't know what I could say as far as yeah the astrological systems. I mean I think it's interesting, but I am intrigued with the aspect of basically just the fact that the moon has the the. The moon can affect emotional or psychological changes. And, of course, we know that it can. I mean, didn't we discuss this on a previous episode? The connection between women's menstrual cycles and the moon Yeah, in our seems to be like 13, a really obvious the, connection. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, it's it's an interesting thing. Yeah, the, the fact that they, yeah, they're synchronized, like they each sort of take a month, you know, it does seem mm-hmm. to... You know, uh, some people say, like, well, not really. But, yeah, I think the best I'm just kind of uh, recollecting now. I didn't look into this before. I did think of that, but uh, I should have thought to, to check again. But I'm pretty sure that the best uh, explanation people had for that was that it was a coincidence. Like, that's what mm. people were saying when we looked into it during that episode. People can go back. Yeah, and you're right. But I'm pretty sure people yeah. were saying that, like, yeah, it's just a big coincidence that the moon and uh, women's menstrual cycles happen to be synchronized. 
which okay. is, you know, uh, you're like, uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, but it also, I mean, correct me if I'm just like veering total into like scientific dumbness here, but the moon has an effect on the ocean tides, right? Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. But uh, well, yeah, I was just and say, like, like an electromagnetic you know, the person to save you from scientific yeah. dumbness. Having said that, uh, epilepsy <laughs> is you know in your minds. Uh, got oh. called out for that one. Uh, uh, no, it's a neurological. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, it's not a psychological I mean, illness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, uh, I think that I was thinking of something else in the in the moment. But of course, it makes sense that seizures aren't mental. Like that's just a real dumb one. But. Anyway, uh, so we're all capable of, of these things. But definitely, yeah, the moon uh, affects the tides. That's uh, one thing that's definitely true. Yeah, and, and so I think it's not totally... And it, I, and it does affect animals. Everybody knows it affects animals. That, like a new moon appeared, and that's, you know, caused all the water to surge towards the equator. And that uh-huh. made Atlantis become submerged and or... Uh, dried out or something. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. Know, I think the moon right. is the important. The gravity of the moon exerts influence on yeah. the tides. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so I don't know. It's like, is it so weird to think that if it can, if it can exert influence on the entire tides of like the vastest bodies of water on our planet, that perhaps it could have some kind of subtle, I don't know if it would be like a magnetic or gravitational kind of thing, uh, depending yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, I think I that mean it's silly. To, I mean, I, I wonder if. Uh, yeah, it is one of those things where it's like ugh, the astrological bodies can have no impact on you where I could see someone getting like, I freaking love science brain to the point where they are denied the moon has an impact on human emotions. But it's also like if you think about it for one second, clearly like it's clearly true that the moon does. I mean, the moon is one of the most common poetic topoi that people discuss yes. in poems. It's a mm. very popular. I mean, it's like saying the sun has no impact on human emotions. Yeah, or something yeah, exactly, like that. exactly. You know, well, even it, you know, if you want to take uh, it on a very just like nuts and bolts, like kind of material level, the full moon. I think both for animals, particularly predatory animals, and for well, actually, you know, but both predator and prey, and including humans, going back to kind of the hunter gatherer days, the full moon is like this occasion that happens once every month where you kind of get a bit of night vision. You know, especially for, yeah, exactly. you know, some it's animals kind of have night vision, time. but the ones that don't, in a way, you know, that's like, like a good night to go on a hunt um, might be on the yeah. full moon because, uh, you know, and that's why like a dog, yeah, even dogs to this a day. standard explanation for like why people say like, oh, there's more crimes during the full moon. I've definitely seen that dynamic play out where people would say, well, you know, uh, people are uh, more wild during the full moon and that's why there's more crimes. And then people would say, well, you know, it's just because there's more light during the full moon. So it's kind of yeah, yeah, uh, which I think is true, but I I wouldn't say uh, yeah, yeah. I I mean I wouldn't exactly like I I would say like a yes and to that, you know, like it like that doesn't have to be exclusively true, exactly. Right, yeah. The more light makes people behave differently, so uh, by syllogism, the full moon makes people behave differently. It's just kind of this thing where yeah, it's one of those like uh, sententious statements that people are kind of just like you know, uh, piously canting without really thinking about, like, well, is there really a distinction here? Uh, or mm-hmm. is, I guess, you know... It has an... Yeah, that's really still an effect that, that it has. Jupiter can't... You know, like, Mars being in retrograde can't make something go wrong for you or whatever or uh, affect people's personalities, but... Uh, there's subtle forces that we don't entirely understand it's possible i mean astrology exactly. is uh, i mean i think we've drawn the comparison between astrology and economics you know it is a 
uh, an old uh, form of knowledge. It is an, an old belief uh, that uh, yeah. is pretty universal that there is a connection between the events on Earth and the uh, the hem- heavenly spheres of the other uh, planets in our solar system. You know, uh, there's of course this astrology very popular in the Islamic world, even though. Uh, Today, and a lot the moon. of Muslims are opposed to astrology, uh, as it's sometimes called. Yeah, well, yeah, astrology. Well, I mean, yeah. Uh, we, uh, I love that. Well, we count the the months uh, by the moon. Uh, you know, Islam has a lunar calendar, so you oh. know it's, it's Ramadan right now. So I mean, I that can affect your emotions. See, you can actually count time by the phases of the moon in, in Islam, and you can see like how much the month has progressed. And a lot of these calendars have a sacred significance, like Muharram. You know, that's associated with Hussein's martyrdom. Ramadan, obviously, is associated with the month of fasting and the revelation of the Quran. So mm-hmm. you know, yeah, like I mean, well, once you get into the sociological aspect, there's it's maybe a trivial point to say that the moon has an impact but i don't know i guess i almost want to say you know no offense young howler but it's almost kind of like uh it uh sort of a science uh hidden science aspect where it's like okay well you know these scientists are dismissive of the idea that the moon has an impact on your emotions but then like you know do we have to then establish like a purely like biological aspect where like it's like pulling on our blood or something the way that it pulls on the ties and that Hmm. is why like you know we uh, react to the moon or is it something else you know is it calling out on some other wavelength that's not within the purview of science which is why they're dismissive of it you know can't we just engage with the obvious evidence that we have a relationship with the moon uh Mm. you know yeah uh, yeah mm. Uh, yeah it's an interesting question Uh. i've been seeing a lot of yeah i've been seeing a lot of new age stuff lately uh about the moon i mean i remember you and i talking years ago like about lunar wave theory and like the stuff with like people photographing the moon or videotaping the moon and and seeing little uh imperfections i guess or or, uh, glitches uh irregularities yeah in their in their film and concluding that that was uh indication that the moon was holographic um that the moon wasn't real or that we were in kind of like a matrix or a giant dyson sphere was wrapped around the earth and we were being like pulled by aliens like somewhere uh and there's yeah yeah or some kind of monitoring station or soul catcher yeah the moon is a soul yeah the moon's a soul catching station right yeah Mm -hmm. um and uh yeah it uh, is a, a soul catching station and it also is an artificial satellite built by mm-hmm. someone at some point in history. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I keep it really runs the, the gamut. Yeah. There's someone uh, who will have like an Instagram story uh, who's in that kind of world of uh, kind of neo uh, astrological skepticism, I guess. I don't know what you call it. Like, Okay. But the idea that like this the you know the heavenly bodies aren't what they appear to be i guess it's like neo-gnostic uh beliefs where like okay you know, uh instead of the heavenly bodies being representatives of evil archons like they're just like fake satellites but uh you know she was saying like w- like uh, it was just like a picture of the sun or something it's like the sun is right there it's right there like use your eyes trust your eyes <laughs> you know like you know it's just like uh, it's it's big so it's obviously like really close like how can you possibly think that it's far oh away? i see uh, i see that it's yeah. just it's yeah it's basically the same i mean it is interesting how similar in size they are i mean per- perspective wise you know, uh, given their immense difference in size in reality, but I guess you know, well, anybody's really like crazy. taking yeah, photographs. That is, that, that, but that it's a weird coincidence. 
it is an incredible well yeah well you know is it a coincidence or is it by design you know like the beautiful <laughs> symbolism of the moon passing in front of the, the the sun in a total like it's so rare for that to be able to happen like a, a solar eclipse the way that we see in a, terms a perfect of like eclipse like that the, it fits. the scientists say yeah exactly it that is very unusual in terms of planets yes. that would have that from the surface that a visual effect uh so yeah Mm, yeah, did Allah yeah, uh, make it that way? Did he place all the <laughs> spheres and the planets in their orbits, as he says in the Quran? I think so. Uh, that's yeah. the only... Or you could believe that's an artificial satellite that was built by aliens to eclipse the sun for some reason that... Yeah, they're is, just both... Know, uh, but, they're both orbiting us. Uh, yeah. Yeah, on opposite, opposite sides. Um, okay, well, yeah. To quote Bill yeah. O'Reilly, who put the moon there? Uh, still a question. <laughs> I say a lot. Yeah. Some say... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Well, um, I think we can move on to number two. You want to read that? Okay, yeah. Let's do it. Ossificans uh, asks... What do you think was the deal with the Mark of the Beast scare when barcodes were introduced? I remember it being a big thing and just being totally memory-hold or treated as religious. Mm -hmm. uh, so many things are, yes. Uh, uh, yeah. Perpetual I mean, refrain maybe. of things being religious. I've never actually... We use that term so much because it's like there's the perfect encapsulation of, of a certain orientation and attitude. Uh, yeah. Know, Bill, the title of Bill Maher's like, movie where he read, went around and... Uh, one thing I remember being really funny about uh, that movie was that his example of, like, Jewish radicalism was, like, anti-Zionist Jews. You know, he was like, <laughs> all religions are radical. You know, you have these Muslim terrorists, you have, like, these crazy fundamentalist Christians, and then, uh, you know, the Bible beaters or whatever, you know, I guess it was Bush era or something, and uh, maybe it was, maybe it was the Obama era, I really don't remember, but... Uh, then, you know, his example of, like, the crazy Jews was people who were anti-Israel, you know, like, what? Uh -huh. like, of course, of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Big defender. But... They're not religious. Uh, Israel no, is it's... not. Yeah. No, 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 no. Being a, a Zionist who believes in, you know, uh, conquering all of Eretz Israel, uh, and that's the only one state belongs there because, you know, God promised the land of Canaan to the israelites in in the torah like that's not religious that's normal but thinking like you know that uh you know the state of israel is like blasphemous and not uh in accordance with god's will uh based on you know orthodox readings of the the jewish scriptures that is uh that's religious um but yes, anyway um, but anyway uh, on to the question so mark, the mark here. of the beast i still yeah uh yeah um but yeah, I'd want to do a rewatch of that with my point. Like, I'd want to like revisit the 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 movie since we've talked about it so much. But anyway, yeah. Uh, the sure, sure. Thing, no, it, it might be fine. Well, we're noticing that again now with uh, the COVID nineteen stuff. I think like where we're the definitely hearing a lot of Mark of the Beast uh, discourse. Yeah, with vaccines or vaccine passports or anything like that. You know, uh, I think. I mean, a, a couple of years ago it was the RFID chip. That, and yeah. now that's kind of fusing with the vaccine that, like, we'll get the RFID chip underneath our skin. Um, yeah, yeah, you'll vaccine. get microchip like uh, a like a dog, you know. Right. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, or the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I think that was a that was an absolute shit coat from the beginning because I don't know, besides a few obviously kind of psyopy bullshit, like QAnon adjacent things, I don't remember people really making a big push about how there's, like, going to be a microchip in the vaccine somehow and i remember being like shot down 
even by other people that were like vaccine skeptical, like right, uh, right when that meme first originated, and yet it it is persisted yeah, as the ultimate shit coat kind of, of characterization. Yeah, it's one of those things where yeah, it's true. It's one of those things where it's like really on the far fringes of what people in this general uh, sphere think. Uh, you know, it's it's on the far fringes of vaccine skepticism or you know resistance to the mainstream narrative around COVID, but it's something that is like it's kind of like the the reptoids of the covid uh skepticism or uh, alternative takes mm-hmm. on covid where it's like anything that is outside the mainstream narrative you're instantly going to invoke lizard people you know it's the lizard people of yes it, this yeah exactly uh, exactly and but, so and but then then i think you know there's always like a, a maybe a slightly more grounded version of that take which you know still gets shit coded but also just ignored which i think is maybe a little bit more reasonable where now people are talking about these vaccine passport apps that they want to roll out in various parts of the country and around the world that are going to basically like so now people are even saying that's the mark of the beast which actually is kind of a more reasonable comparison to make that it's like you're not going to be able to participate in social life or buy or sell or do any of the things described in revelation unless you have this mark which is basically it's like the vaccine isn't the mark itself, but then you have to, it's like you have to carry around like the receipt of the beast or something, you know, <laughs> like you have to carry around this proof that you got it. And it's more yeah. maybe about uh, it. Maybe it's more just about control itself more than what's actually in the vaccine, though. You know, there's questions about yeah. that as well. You know what I mean? So it's about getting you to like uh, get brought into this system where you're like a number and you can be more meticulously managed and controlled and your freedoms will be curtailed. So that that gets back to basically the the UPC code, the barcode, which people um, throughout, I think it it uh, I found a couple articles about it, but I think it, it really the one we know today that's on everything was developed in the 1970s at IBM. So we're already getting a little satanic vibes there. Obviously, uh, they have some pretty sordid history with putting numbers on people, if I recall. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, Funny, like actually. at Auschwitz, yeah. um, like building yeah. computers for the Nazis to process constant mm-hmm. death camp victims. Uh, so all, there's all with yes. Thomas Watson, who's now like a cute computer who like goes on Jeopardy, but you know is named after this like Nazi computer scientist yeah. guy. Yeah, um, yeah, that was that was their part point two uh, or sorry two point version of the the uh, Auschwitz tattoo was the barcode. Um, yeah yeah so i mean in that you can kind of it's not that unfair i think to make a certain kind of comparison i will say that i i looked up who no it's created. not unfair I, and i think that it, it just shows that these things are such flexible stories i mean i'm not even sure if i necessarily believe in i don't believe in everything in the injil well i do believe in everything in, in the true injil that was given to isa but i don't necessarily believe in everything in the new testament or you know uh, in revelation i'm not sure if there will be a mark of the beast i do think that if there were to be one it would be something that you know it would be clear that i think that most like fundamentalist christians who really think about it realize that it's not something you're supposed to be able to be tricked into taking like if you're a good christian you know, you're like you would know that this is about obedience to the Antichrist. Uh, that this is, uh, I guess, yes. you know, maybe make the argument that if you really were paying attention, you would know that barcodes were clearly and unambiguously about ambiguous uh, about uh, obedience to the Antichrist. But well, I think um, that you know, the, well, 
I mean, why don't we why don't we talk about what what were some of the problems people had with this UPC uh, technology? And you know, given that if we're following the logic that Shaitan is the ultimate capitalist, that he's the ultimate chairman of the board of directors of uh, you know satanic capitalism LTD then we have to ask kind of well okay so then you know this is a pro this is a code that has enabled this kind of um uh, technologically networked global capitalist commerce to you know basically expand across the world you know it's a really like fundamental uh stamp or you know a little piece of technology and you know created by ibm now here here's what's interesting is uh it was actually invented there, there's a general barcode idea developed by Joe Woodland, who I believe was a, a yeah, he was an IBM guy who developed the first barcodes during World War II. But then it was a man named George Joseph Lohrer III, who worked for IBM most of his career, who developed the UPC in the 70s and, you know, made a bunch of patents. And he was based down in the, uh, the Research Triangle in North Carolina and, you know, Raleigh, Durham and Chapel Hill. And he, you know, he had been uh, an engineer. He was the son of an engineer um, who I believe joined the army during World War II. Then he went to technical school, studied radio and television repair, and then went to a college at the University of Maryland and I guess uh, then started working at IBM for 36 years, uh, starting as a junior engineer. And uh, yeah, and... The interesting thing about him is um, it says it right here, actually, in the Wikipedia. So this was like quite a controversy at the time um, that the universal process product code has bit patterns at the beginning, middle and end of the barcode called guard bars. And these have been interpreted as the digit 666. When he first developed the code, Laura noticed that the digit six mm-hmm. appeared, s- appeared several times and that this might be interpreted as the number of the beast as his daughter was studying the book of Revelation. When the code started to appear in stores, there were protests and an urban legend develop laura addressed this on his website answer yes they do all caps resemble the code for a six and even parody six is one module wide black bar one module white wide space one module wide black bar four module wide white space there is nothing sinister about this nor does it have anything to do with the bible's mark of the beast the new testament revelation chapter 3 paragraph 18 it is simply a coincidence like the fact that my first middle and last name all have six letters (laughs) there is no connection with an international money code either and uh, yeah so i mean uh that's interesting as he pointed out that george joseph laurer the third is six 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 three so it's like six 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 three times i don't know um wow. it's like absolutely sure kind of someone experience. must have pointed that out before he admitted to it uh yeah he's kind of throwing chum to the water you know um mm-hmm. in that right. sense uh, uh yeah, yeah I mean, but i think uh, that like yeah, sorry. Uh, wait, uh, you can continue talking about. Uh, oh, oh yeah, well, I, I found yeah. I found just like one reference to um uh, to somebody actually writing a book about the like barcode satanic conspiracy, and there was one I guess that was pretty prominent called the New Money System by Mary Stuart Ralph, um, who was a uh, kind of I don't know what they call it, like a prophecy philosopher or something like a prophecy woman or something like that she was in some kind of evangelical milieu in like alabama and she wrote this book the new money system i have it here and 
I just, you know, she posts a lot of like funny advertisements from the time that have like barcodes on it. Um, and she's, uh, you know, some Bible quotes and she just says, uh, in the preface here, just to give you an idea of like what her argument was kind of interesting. Um, she starts writing in the first sentence in all caps, the thrust of the first book I wrote, When Your Money Fails, The 666 System Is Here, this is in 1982, by the way, was to find a common bond between government debts, hyperinflation, the collapse of economies, the worthlessness of currencies, electronic money, and the emergence of a worldwide card with which to conduct commerce. The thread woven throughout this chain of events proved to be the usage of the number 666. Dozens of usages were both discussed and pictured by many segments of industry, from banking to communications, from manufacturing to retail. As a successful business person of many years, I had become a keen observer of economic trends. As a student of Bible prophecy, I was able to identify a positive drift towards the last economic regime about which the prophet John had said would be, all caps, universal, cashless, conducted with, quote, marks. And through this unique system of buying and selling, control would be gained over the political and religious dis disciplines of the world. However, in the first book, I could only define broad outlines of a loosely knit world federation promoting the consensus of, quote, internationalism through the open and broad use usages of the number 666. For example, I would discover it on a flashlight manufactured in West Germany, on shoes made in Taiwan, on a key imprinted in the United States, and on bank cards in Australia. And while these do not exhaust my research, I use this grouping to indicate there seem to be no common denominator or corporate identity to be uncovered in any of these organizations. Furthermore, I was unable to pinpoint any one giant conglomerate, national or multinational, most responsible for the 666 phenomenon of the decade of the 1970s. But God made Revelation progressive. While we see through a glass darkly, we do see. She's using exclamation points. And we see clearer in this decade of the 80s than we saw in the 70s. We have moved into closer proximity with these events, and those specks of dust we were discerning in the 70s have turned out to be the pillars upon which this entire end time system is structured. All caps, the thrust of this book, the new money system, and 666 is to discuss the identity of the consortium promoting the global use of 666 and expand upon the users of the number to include heads of nations, departments of, of governments, religious orders, and world organizations. The coded use of 666 in the universal product code barcode, that as products uh, are that as products are now identified by barcodes, our personal identification will soon be in the form of a barcode. Electronic trans electronic funds transfer the cashless system is designed to remove all money from individuals but by do, by so doing will eliminate all personal freedom and privacy as every person place and thing come under the identity and control of this barcode marking system the chief architects of this consortium will realize the fruition of their of their ulterior motive the new money system marks for people money for them the first book was about the number this book is about the mark the mark incorporates the number. The prophet John identified this cashless system of commerce 1,900 years ago as one in which business would be transacted with a mark and a number. The mark will obviously be a barcode. The number will be 666. The combination of the two, about which you will read in this book, will be an integral part of the 666 system, another term for the world government system destined to close out this present age with a seven-year totalitarian regime. Daniel 70th week, Daniel 924. <laughs> so uh, cool. you know uh, um, uh, yeah i mean well i do think i you know i really think that they're really uh i mean maybe i i am not really proclaiming this as a certain thing it is very possible that there will be uh one singular dajal who uh, emerges and is like truly like the essence of dajal but i also feel 
that there is in a way a recurrence of the type of the Antichrist or the Jajal or and the false prophet and, and these uh, sort of types and these ideas uh, have a certain durability where they repeat and they repeat or a certain flexibility where they repeat and repeat. So, you know, not to say these things, uh, like the, the, I, the problem that people will have to participate in an evil system in order to buy and sell, that is a perennial problem that people definitely had back in the time the New Testament was written, that Revelations was written. Like the, I mean, I think that there's actually kind of a conflation that happens between two references to like the mark of the beast in the Bible. Like one talks about it being on the forehead and the hand, which I think there's mm -hmm. a lot of different interpretations of, you know, cause that's like kind of a, a thing in the Bible where people will say that if you're marking the forehead, that's you're like one of God's people. But of course, like people aren't literally marked on the, you know, so there's a lot of yeah. different disputes about it, but uh, there's kind of a conflation between that reference to being marked by uh, the beast and the, the really famous one where it mentions 666 and, says that no one will be able to buy or sell without his mark, which is, if you, if you take that in isolation, that is much more like the, what you see with, uh, you know, people's, especially in, in antiquity, uh, emperors faces being on coins and things like that, you know, mm -hmm. or, uh, George Washington being on the money. So, uh, yeah. so, uh, yeah, I think that there, yeah. So I think that in a way, yeah, the barcode, stuff does fit because these uh trends do perpetuate themselves through history we see like these uh patterns repeating and repeating we see them in certain ways now where there's an attempt to uh through the virus you know control people's movement with the vaccine passports and things like that uh to control mm -hmm. people's ability to like that is uh, that concern that idea that this is how the reign of the antichrist would manifest uh is a natural idea because it's something that we see uh, capitalists and just generally uh power hungry bloodthirsty people uh, doing uh you know all the time and have that they've been doing uh, since uh, you know uh, time immemorial uh yeah and, yeah yeah um well so, it makes you think about a lot yeah, of things it makes you think about even like cryptocurrency and the blockchain because i think if you replace like yeah, the, the word barcode thing, yeah. for blockchain it would kind of sound it would still make sense and it would be like yeah you know, everything is going to be on the blockchain which is going to even though bitcoin started out as like this libertarian project that was you know against like central banks it actually is a technology that it could use to track all financial transactions in a kind of provable way um and thus track you if you're if you're if your identity is attached to an address then effectively all your money flows can be viewed not just by governments but by anybody really with an internet connection could go look on the blockchain explorer and you know track all your money so it's like it's that is that kind of a thing that is that going to be liberating especially as i suspect it will it'll start to get integrated with central banks and stuff like mm -hmm. even if it's not bitcoin literally they're going to use it as uh, they're going to use the blockchain technology uh, to basically set up some kind of you know digital currency that then uh you're going to be yeah tracked so I think yeah, it's still I mean, salient. A, uh. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely salient where I think that, you know, this is an obvious strategy of power that is very ancient. It, the idea of controlling and being the sort of mark of legitimation of people's uh, transactions of goods and, and services and, and capital in, uh, in various forms. Uh, and I think that it's, you know, not to uh, say that there isn't, maybe some 
value to uh, applying biblical prophecy to current events. I'm not like uh, really all about that. You know, as I said, like I think that the Injil that we have um, isn't the real Injil. Uh, but <laughs> uh, you know, the uh, like, but I, I think that it is a very safe bet to say that this is something that will be associated with uh, the Antichrist or, or Dajjal because that's something that. Uh, you know, yeah, it's an ancient strategy of, of power and the, I, the wishing to consolidate all wealth uh, and all, all transfer of wealth and goods and services under one system. You know, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. it's something that, you, you know, it's a very safe bet for this is the form that this uh, evil imperium would take and that is a goal that it would pursue. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm inclined to believe that the Dajjal in a way is already here and they have. Uh, like a Dajjalic system that they've set up that is called capitalism that basically yeah Dajjal yeah Dajjal in a way I think is a, like I'm not ruling out there will be a singular Dajjal I mean maybe he sure. will be like a solid state intelligence of sorts uh, that uh, does seem to be <laughs> a, maybe a they, they're trying to build but... the Dajjal these are this is some kind of like Dajjal's basilisk kind of people yeah, that for several probably... hundred years have been in a cult <laughs> Yeah, to raise a, a Dajjal. Way, yeah, I think that like all you know, Dajjal has been emerging through like you know through the centuries. You know, there's like there's Dajjalic currents going you know all the way through the history of the human species. Like whether you know what the nature of the culmination of those currents will be, like what form will sure. take, it's unclear. But we definitely see like the the movement of Dajjal like through all eras uh mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. yeah i think that that's why you know like maybe the barcode thing isn't the the main uh discourse or the the discourse of the mark of the beast has moved on from from barcodes as the main sort of focus but it doesn't necessarily mean that like oh you know that prophecy failed or whatever you know and like now yeah. we're on to the next thing i think that it maybe it's all part of the same uh, accumulation of the jolic energy over time yes uh, yes it was a critical yeah. step in the, the development of the productive forces of the to basically develop yeah. barcodes so that they could get to the point where now they can create like global digital currencies and surveillance systems and things like that to entrap people even further in their jolic system and so i think uh i think we should uh stay vigilant and you know watch yeah. out for it <laughs> yeah um yeah sure. not gonna not yes. gonna earn the uh, Mark of the Beast barcode believers of the uh, 1980s. Uh, they were mm-hmm. more right, yeah. you know, just like Sherman Skolnick, they even were... their educated misses were more informative than other people's uh, cautious articles about how it wasn't satanic. Yes, uh, they definitely had a pretty good point. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of satanic, maybe we can move on to number three now. Okay. Um, this one's kind of, oh, this one gets a little yeah. wild. Uh, it gets a little mm-hmm. wild. So we, um, okay, I will read the, this is from Jimmy Fallon Gong. And uh, he asks, okay, now that we're getting into hypnosis, have you guys looked into that whole sissy hypno thing? I'm only vaguely aware of it because I'm not a 4chan dude, but it sounds theoretically possible. Are you I aware of, think of the sissy, sissy hypno, hypno thing? as being like a big thing? Unfortunately, I'm definitely aware of sissy hypno, and in terms of it being possible, I think it's probably one of the more. You know, on the podcast, we've discussed like the possibility of people being hypnotized against their will, and what it's possible to manipulate someone into doing. Where I think that for the most part, like the sissy hypno stuff, 
where basically for those who don't know it's like when people watch like videos like either porn videos or like listen to mp3s or uh subscribe to like findom type only fans who mm -hmm. like use kind of like hypno type techniques to uh turn like you know program them or condition them into being a sissy and like feminize them you know uh yeah so or in some like cases and, and this is quite controversial but uh some people argue can hypnotize people into kind of having uh into basically wanting to to become trans basically is often the kind of a or if not that then to like hypnotize them into becoming sissies like uh, getting pegged or something like that like well, that, that yeah. that's My been a lot thing, of the, though, the with that the reason why i view this as being quite possible is that if you are like even in a situation where like someone is hypnotizing you to be a sissy it's usually by your own design like i i mean you could maybe say like we're all being fed xenoestrogens that are turning us effeminate or something or being sissy <laughs> hypnotized by like the the media uh when they you know uh Kay reno's uh issue of, of putting the men in dresses and yeah uh, they, you know, they gotta wear a dress yeah masculinity so maybe there's a subtler aspect of, of sissy hypno being exercised on, on the whole that gets into the kind of whole uh you know uh the emasculation of males uh discourse but in terms of like you know the very narrow phenomenon particularly of people using hypnosis to make people into sissies usually those people are like seeking that out like they're turned on by the idea of like being turned into sissies uh and so yes yes if you're, like, well i mean i guess that, it, then yeah like you yeah, will be yeah. sissified because you I, already I think that's, are like, that's definitely true you know, and of course there's like a there, there's a very hard to pin down sort of you know chicken and the egg kind of thing of like to what extent are you coming with like a sort of uh, already innate innately uh, extant desire that is uh, fulfilled by watching Sissy Hypno or to what extent are you just maybe like somebody who is either curious or just diving into the world of online pornography and just you know happens to click on it and then it is if as long as you give it a little bit like kind of like with regular hypnosis then it could incept certain ideas into your brain and while you do kind of technically sort of consent overall because you sought it out maybe it puts ideas in there that like otherwise without that stimuli you wouldn't necessarily it, it either wouldn't be awakened yeah, I mean, in you or i think it's tough kind of i think it could be either all way media and porn well, all sure porn and all media really yes uh, that, yes it gets know, the heart of everything uh, yeah, yeah it puts ideas into your mind yeah uh I mean, I think that it's, you know, a lot of these FinDom type people, uh, they now use something like hypnosis or hypnotic techniques because, uh, you know, that's either a demand or they feel that it were. And I'm sure that it does like serve to reinforce the connection and because they depend on like, you know, a tribute as like their uh, means of getting uh, money. You know, it's not just like people subscribing uh, to their OnlyFans or whatever, they're, like, you know, giving them their money as tribute of, like, ser servitude is, like, the whole thing with, with being a FinDom. So, uh, you know, that's that's a whole uh, aspect of it where uh, I, I think that, they you know, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But I, uh, I I do think that it it is interesting, you know, the explosion of different kinks which of course they've always been kind of out there but i think there is a kind of a fanning 
the popular the fanning the flames of the popularity of some of them given the structure of online erotica and pornography i think it's definitely been Certainly, the amount of porn that is being con- an example of that yes I think. yeah yes it, a it, like, example of that uh, totally yeah. mm-hmm. totally something that would have been like probably i think kind of more or less somewhat marginal and certainly in the realm of just people's like fantasies in general i don't think that's like a super i hope it's not a super widely held one but yet it's become like the number one kind of i think like yeah, category basically because i've read that i've read that some of these places have like cracked down on like uh hypno stuff or, or uh, yes something like that like because uh, they're concerned that people will like sue them or whatever. Like they're they're okay with having like you know teen like your daughter or whatever porn, but yeah, they don't. You yeah. know, if you like someone could sue them for saying like, oh, you know, I saw this financial dominatrix and she like told me to give her her give me give her her my credit card and I did and you know now I'm suing. I mean, that's kind of that's uh, really interesting. Where you know basically I I hadn't really thought about FinDoms using hypnosis to like psyop and hypnotize clients because it, it, that always it the whole fit thing did strike me as always like a little bizarre but i guess i'm somebody that like i don't know the idea of getting like uh tortured like in the hell in the bucket video by like a sexy dominatrix who's like i don't know do burning you or like I, it just doesn't like i don't have the, i don't know i'm not wired that way like i i don't understand like either doing it to people or having it done to you i mean other people do but uh but i think that i don't know um I, I think that the, the like the FinDom part always struck me because it's all virtual, it seems like for the most part, and it is based upon this weird kind of like degradation uh, yeah. of the, the person who's paying you, but it's all like psychological. But the more I think about it, it's like, oh, yeah, like that wouldn't be you probably, you know, even in this post pandemic age, like how how do you hypnotize somebody over like a FaceTime call? You probably could do it uh it's probably Um, you you know not impossible yeah Yeah, i i do want to i want to read a little bit from like one article there's a few articles that have actually been written about this if you dig into it if there's video editing you can use like uh subliminal you know, images and things yeah or yeah, subliminal yeah. Just even, that's like, the other thing is like i i think effects. that what what people sim- single out about like sissy hypno videos is that they are very aggressively edited to kind of like put you in a sort of trance like state and they're they they i think they're they're very clearly trying to like hit like uh, overtly kind of trying yeah, to like well, hypnotize like you yeah is that and it's kind of part like, of the fun yeah, i guess i think that people going in now well, yeah it's the appeal is that you're giving up control uh you know it's a uh-huh. control and power uh, yeah, yeah. thing yeah i think mm-hmm. that you know a lot of sexual kinks i guess or a lot of sexuality in general has to do with like uh power or even like yeah it has to do with power like uh and the yeah, it's a balance of like dominance and and submission like in uh that's my perception anyway in fact i would um, i would say that hypnosis has had like a sexual element to it in the same way that uh people have brought up that there's uh, a possibility uh, or there's a uh an, ambi- an ambiguity or a tension a sexual tension maybe that can emerge in like a therapeutic climate i mean i think mm-hmm. that there always has kind of been like a or a, you know psychiatric uh, or psychoanalytic climate uh where you know there can be like transference to the psychoanalyst and you can fall in love with them or something you know, like that type yeah. of thing. i think that you know hypnosis even more so there's always really been 
like a sexual element like if you look up like old pictures of like women like cataleptic women you know with with Mm -hmm. hypnotists like from the victorian era like the kind of poses and stuff like they have this uh i think they have like kind of an an erotic aspect i think uh sure these uh these things and I could definitely uh, see a know, kinky undercurrent to this being like relaxed, seance parties, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, you're, you're it, especially relaxed, in such an uptight age voice, where you know? sexuality was so rigidly kind of regimented and controlled that any kind of little thing like that, where you like give over your self-control to like somebody else who's, you know, mesmerizing you is uh, kind of very titillating and kind of scary, ooh, dangerous kind of thing. And uh, yeah, I, I could see that operating. Um, I, I found this article in the, daily dot i just want to read a little from it's kind of a uh pro hypno kink article and i feel like you know we want to give them we want to give them their their uh you know their chance to to speak and i don't know there, there's but it you know it talks about kind of the realness of it and like what i guess there's even beyond like sissy hypno videos there's an entire hypno kink uh or erotic hypnosis kind of a community so this is actually written from just this year from January, and uh, they say skepticism runs rampant around hypnosis, pr- particularly for hypno kinksters. Yet, despite what naysayers believe, hypnosis is very real, and hypno kink fans have long sung its praises. Where does erotic hypnosis's appeal lie? Uh, here we go. Like many other kink communities, uh, the hypno kink world has done lexicon with varying definitions. Hypno kink educator, podcaster, and author Sleepin' Girl stresses defining hypnosis is complicated in its own right. Quote, it refers to both the activity as a whole, we are going to do some hypnosis, and the altered trance state that can occur within, I am going to put you into hypnosis, she told the Daily Dot. Especially within the kink community, we recognize that doing a hypnosis scene does not necessarily include a trance state and is more broadly referring to all sorts of mind play techniques. Meanwhile, clinical hypnosis describes the specific medical experience of hypnosis as an altered state of awareness, perception, or consciousness that is used by licensed and trained doctors or master uh, or prepared individuals for treating a psychological or physical problem, according to the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis. Science backs up clinical hypnosis as a neurological phenomenon, too. In one study, hypnosis expert David Spiegel at the Stanford University School of Medicine observed a predetermined, highly hypnotizable group saw a drop in the brain's dorsal anterior cingulate activity during hypnosis, letting those focus deeply on the exercise at hand. Other parts of the brain also changed their behavior, essentially uh, intensifying the brain's connection to the clinically hypnotized party's body, Spiegel told Time magazine. The uh, the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, which is connected to self-reflection, also diminishes in activity during clinical hypnosis, explaining why hypnotized subjects may be more susceptible to suggestion. In other words, hypnosis changes how the mind processes information and suggestions on a neurological level. It's a powerful tool, one that Spiegel thinks could be used as an alternative to addictive painkillers. He underwent self-hypnosis to recover from a shoulder injury. Um, He said, if opiates affect certain regions of the brain, like the dorsal antigular cingulate and some other brain regions there's no reason why we can't use a different approach to produce similar effects in the brain that are real effects that reduce pain and anxiety and help people stop smoking spiegel told time it's a real deal treatment that should be given the same respect that a lot of other treatments we use that are sometimes less efficacious and more dangerous um sleeping girl argues hypnosis can look like many different things to many different kinds of people her and fellow hypno fetish educator gleeful abandon wrote in one zine that the term hypnosis 
tends to be used as a, quote, wider umbrella than the clinical definition of hypnosis. To the Daily Dot, Sleeping Girl described the hypnosis trance state as, quote, adjacent or connected to focus, expectation, attention, awareness, suggestibility, and rapport. Here's the thing. Hypnosis isn't just one solid thing or state with one solid set of rules. Trance and brain fuckery are dynamic, Herzine notes. Spoilers, any line we make is subjective. Meditation, when you potentially put yourself in an altered state and change the way you focus, pretty much fits under that umbrella too. Erotic hypnosis, Sleeping Girl said, describes erotic hypnosis as the catch-all term for using mind fuckery with intent to play within the bounds of an intimate sexual or fetishistic encounter. Hypnokink is the more modern term and has become more popular as the erotic hypnosis world has merged with the general kink and BDSM community, she said. It can be used as a descriptor of interest, I have a hypnokink, or as a way to talk about the activity, let's do some hypnokink. Now, why do people like erotic hypnosis? Uh, like any other sexual interest, hypnokink has broad appeal. Um, Steven Strom, managing editor, editor at Fanbyte, recently covered a hypno-coded VR game that promises to, quote, dissolve your mind in a bath of ecstatic sensation. Strom told The Daily Dot that they have been interested in hypno-kink from a young age and that the fetish is, quote, actually super common and has been for a long, long time. I enjoy both yeah, sides of hypnosis. Sure oh, true. God. Uh, yeah, I enjoy both sides of hypnosis because on the one hand, you have no choice but to enjoy yourself. On the other hand, you don't have to worry if you're good enough, pretty enough, femme or mask enough, etc. for the other person, he explained. Of course, that's the case if someone cares about you or is enjoying your company anyway, but try telling your own anxious brain literally anything. Strom compares hypnokink to, quote, fantasy lubricant because it lets participants play with power dynamics and desires that are inescapable while under hypnosis. Other hypnokinksters feel the same way. Rotten Tiamat enjoys hypnokink for many reasons, one of which is, a, is how a hypnosis trance leaves the subject, quote, in a hyper-suggestible state where the hypnotist can tell their submissive what they're feeling or sensing. Hyp quote, hypnosis aligns well with a lot of other kinks, especially transformation one thing like a monarch butterfly yeah, once you have some uh, uh, yeah bimbo yeah, bimbofication like bimbo uh, yeah 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 okay so here we go yeah once you have someone in trance it's easy to suggest the sensation of their body changing becoming larger or smaller curvier or growing a tail uh like furries mm, it can be used yeah. for mental transformations as well you can transform someone into a puppy who forgets how to talk and can only bark or a silly slutty bimbo bimbofication is a really popular variety of hypno kink <laughs> they added that bimbofication which is a kink where a subject transforms to become hypersexualized is a really popular variety of hypno kink um you know other niche kinks intersect with the erotic hypnosis world as well such as forced feminization gender transformation and pet play one popular hypno kink theme fetish dronification involves a technological process in which subjects are turned into quote brainwashed obedient tools part of a much larger drone hive the kink has boomed in recent years thanks to a cyberpunk kink project hexcorp which is particularly popular among queer trans women dronification is centered on something i would consider a key element of my sexuality depersonalization without degradation the transformation into an objet d'art the latex doll figure one anonymous drone kingster told the daily dot sissy bimbo hypnosis i participated despite a lot of fear even 
even though I wasn't yeah, interested like the at all. Man thing, kind of. Oh like, yeah. Person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, they they say okay, so they they do say it can be hypnosis can be carried out in many different ways, including in person, online with phone or video calls, through hypnosis audio recordings, or even through instant messaging. While there are many beginner guides to learning hypnosis techniques, she warns these guides are often structured to a fault. Instead, one working model Sleeping Girl has come up with to a successful session is one negotiation, two suggestions and responses, and three cleaning up and aftercare. Quote, hypnosis functions on the responsiveness of both parties, both how the subject responds to suggestion and how the hypnotist responds to the subject. A trance state is common and often a goal, but not necessarily, especially the formal induction of the state to start things off, and does not always take the form of a slumped-over, closed-eyes subject, she said. Attention, intimacy, and quality of focus are all very, quote, hypnotic and can create the kind of space where partners can have amazing experiences of all kinds and have their capability for responding to suggestions and changing cognition expanded yeah i guess uh yeah i mean this like makes a lot of sense like if you what you think about it like you know this is something that is been i mean i guess this is like now something that's exploding like with the internet like in the way that a lot of these like furries you know that's something that i feel like the internet has really facilitated in terms of being an actual like subculture and community but if you look like in the media much like with furries where there's like lola bunny and stuff like sexy uh humanoid animals you know there's also like even a more robust tradition of like erotic hypnosis in the media there's like i mean dracula comes to mind uh, talking about yep. dracularity sure uh, and tate. You know, <laughs> look into my eyes you know uh the vulnerability you know the woman like me swooning back I, i'm looking right now i looked up you know like victorian uh photographs of hypnosis and you know a lot of them are like of these women you know just kind of like slumping back into the hypnotist's arms you know and like yeah mm. i mean she's like totally vulnerable she's totally under your power so like obviously like you can see, like, that's the other side of the side of the coin. I guess the sissy thing is more about being uh, at the mercy of the the female hypnotist for the the man. But I think it's also a very common thing where you know, like, they're back at the comic book ads of like hypnotize women. You know, get all the girls yeah. you want with these hypno specs and things like that. Well, so, it, it is interesting that yeah, like in the last uh, ten years, like the the really popular thing that was talked about on like 4chan or whatever was kind of that pickup artist like you know do like Operation Mindfuck on girls yes. to like you know neg them the and like specs of today. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's now it's progressed to like people young, these kind of same types of young men seeking out basically getting hypnotized to turn them into a drone or something that sounds really sus that you build like a stable of mind-controlled drones that uh, (laughs) i mean i'm sorry like Uh, (laughs) most of the stuff is like harmless between like you know like people in like a very weird subculture uh yeah i mean obviously there's potential for like abuse of it uh but i feel like a lot of the time it's like the person said i think that's probably true that hypnosis like is many things and like it's hard to pin down like an actual like you know stable systematic theory of like what hypnosis is it works like in many different ways and i think a lot of this stuff probably is like ultimately you know consensual in the way that a lot of uh, consensual insofar as a lot of relationship dynamics are consensual where like people in relationships can be like emotionally manipulated they can be like you know mm-hmm. uh, sex can be used to manipulate them by their partners like i'm sure that's uh, true in these things as well but uh and maybe you know a bit more so because like they're you know relaxing or uh, you know opening up or being more vulnerable through the practice of hypnosis but uh i'm sure that like if someone 
for the most part, you know, I think that in this subculture, like, if people, like, really didn't want to be drones, it would be different, you know? It's because, like, well, really, Well, I mean, like, th that's what know, I'm more interested more in, is the like, desire. As, as the people want to be drones. Yeah, where's the desire? Why, why do people want to yeah, be drones? Well, you know, it's a, yeah, well, like, that's something that, like, you know, uh, the Borg are coming to mind. I feel like there's a bunch of different stuff where, like, you see that in the media in a way that might even be... I mean, even in, like, stage hypnosis, you know, like, the puppy thing, like, on stage, yeah. you know, it's always, like, getting a sexy woman to... Depending on, like, the, what the hypnosis show is rated, uh, yeah. you know, maybe she'll, like, think she's having sex with a chair or maybe she'll just be clucking like a chicken, but, you know, you always... There's always, like, some kind of, like, libidinal aspect to it, I feel, or maybe not always, yeah. but there there is often. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, but, yeah, you know, I mean... Why but, but desire this, like, yeah... I, mean, I don't know, but all, also, also I think these th all these things in the same way, like which is just that, it, like power or, or giving up power is titillating. Either like having yes. power over someone else or is surrendering it is titillating. I mean, being a mindless drone doll robot is pretty much as powerless as you can get. I mean, has our sexuality become like systematically disordered through like overexposure to like media and especially pornography that like now the idea of being a drone is like uh much more sex i mean i'm sure like people didn't always want to be like sex robots uh that's not a yeah concept yeah that's, like, exactly you know, around forever uh but i think it's i think yeah. it is I contingent mean, it's and it's influenced in the the moment yeah. that we're in i don't think it's total i i guess the interest in the kind of erotic hypnotism i get is it goes back a long ways but i think this particular kind of thing of like i want to be made into a mind-controlled slave is kind of something that is definitely i think would not be happening in the way it is and on the scale that it is without obviously without the internet and the ubiquity of just like pornography in general but then also the particular i don't know the types of pornography that that tend to rise to the top or get promoted the most and the general kind of um yeah like a the, there is a kind of a i don't know you know aggressive yeah, I, think it's in, I think it's in between like the basic idea of being like controlled body and mind i think is very old like as a sexual yes. desire but also but, okay i, I know, think like the reason a ro uh, robots are obviously a newer thing you know uh, yeah yeah or just but, being a but, zombie you know, it, like uh, kind of being like a zombie in the the yeah. haitian voodoo mm -hmm. sense but i i do want to bring up because i think the reason that i think maybe the reason why jimmy Fallon Gong asked us this question is because perhaps of the potential because you know we've talked about hypnosis in the context of mk ultra and brainwashing people and hypnotizing them and programming them to kill and all these other things so i think maybe what he's also kind of uh asking us is is this a new technique to basically mk somebody under the cover of it being like an erotic hypno thing or like you know what i mean like could this be weaponized or oh, perhaps yeah. like has it been weaponized to, like look up a hypno porn video like a sissy hypno porn video like to get hypnotized to be a sissy but then it actually hypnotizes you to like kill Obama go do a mass shooting uh yeah yeah well it's like know. okay it's like the the recent mass shooter just a couple weeks ago who was like absolutely so obsessed with my little pony that he thought he was gonna go meet my little pony one of those characters he like hoped. in the afterlife he hoped to meet Jack in the afterlife he didn't yeah but it'd be like what the fuck you know so like and, and, yeah. and even though i don't know if like he was kind of mixing that with i don't know if he was watching any kind of you know sissy hypno my little pony themed kind of thing but it sounds like okay how did a guy get that 
that. Yeah, it seemed fucking like he was just mixing it with like being. It seemed like he was like kind of a a, a white supremacist. I mean, I know that when uh, you know white person has a mass shooting, usually people are think uh, he's probably a white supremacist, and it often is true. I think in this case, it may it may have been that he was also into that. I'm not sure if that was a motive for the shooting or if he was just like uh, you know unstable or I mean I don't know. I don't I didn't read anything to do with that. I haven't I haven't heard of like a sissy hypno shooter, but I mean, how would you really know? You know, maybe Stephen Paddock, when, when he wasn't doing yeah. Joker poker, yeah, exactly. I mean, well, Joker poker is kind of a uh, like, could Joker poker just gradually hypnotize you and psyop you into being a mass shooter? Uh, I mean, yeah, really, and becoming like, the it, Joker. It maybe into, if it could be insinuated into sissy hypno porn, it could easily be insinuated into video games. Uh, oh, for sure, games for sure. Like much more attentiveness, like you and know, especially like online, like uh, you know. yeah, and like online games like uh, like Farmville. I remember when Farmville used to come out years ago. It it was so bizarre and like I don't know if you ever if you ever went into like an Apple store around that era about ten years ago, there would be people that would come in every day and play Farmville for like hours like old usually kind of older people like middle-aged or older people would just come in and they would play they would log into Facebook and they would play Farmville for like three hours straight just like standing (laughs) there like clicking around on the map and it was just like these people are like mind controlled by this game it's designed to be addictive like they're not you know they're not just like these uh like a fin dom would do you know they would design their content to be addictive they would design it to extort as much money as possible those games are designed to get people to keep playing you know it's always the next objective i mean civ a game which i i like is very much the same way where i think even one of the like sort of taglines of the series is like just one more turn because oh, it has that it format gets you hooked of into like, it. oh well just one more you know and like it's mm-hmm. always like oh after the next turn it'll be fine you know like after the next yeah. turn it'll be done but then there always something else comes up that'll get you to do just one more uh i think that there you know it, it's obvious that there's many things like that and even even the music in video games uh i have a friend who yeah. listens to video game music while working on uh her uh her writing um and uh, because like that music makes you feel like you're just about to get the next objective you know it always repeats like that's actually a really good i'm gonna try i'm gonna try that sometime i actually did do that years ago i think when i was working on a script i used like the metal gear not not metal gear Solid, but like metal gear 2 like nes soundtrack from the late 80s which is actually pretty pretty good but it's like just simple yeah, enough to sure. kind of not distract you, but keeps you kind of. It does keep you on that hyped up, like keep going, keep going, kind of um, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, I know it's smart. So you can kind of, yeah. you know, there's all these ways in which you can kind of. I, it's interesting that one, you know, erotic uh, hypno girl said, you know, compared, you know, meditation to basically putting yourself into a hypnotic trance. And so, you know, I guess that does that mean, you know, David Lynch has been just hypnotizing himself. For the last forty years, and that's where he gets all yeah, his well, I mean, that's what weirdo a lot of ideas from. Who, that's a lot of people we talked about have said the same thing. You know, like we were talking about uh, William Joseph Bryan, uh, the mm-hmm. uh, you know descendant of the uh, you know perennial presidential candidate who wrote mm-hmm. that book on like religion and hypnotism, and a lot of it was about you know uh, Muslim prayers as uh, a use of hypnotism. You know, through the repetition and through mm. uh, you know certain things. That, I mean. Yeah, I mean, I mean like it, it can be like a Hindu yeah. term, but it's also hmm. like, you know, a sort of repetition, like a trance like 
thing. Uh, so. mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So I think you know it. it maybe it, I think it's too simplistic to say any induction of a hypnotic state is like evil or sinister because it seems to be so integrated and ubiquitous in our human experience, general in in more subtler ways. Like it it pops up in places yeah like yeah. like religious rituals that are actually kind of good or just you know bonding rituals for like i don't know a sports team or you know uh, a revolutionary cadre unit uh, or something like you know they yeah. they all well, like they that, yeah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. i think uh, that hypno kingster actually said something that I, I i agree with and i've been saying a lot in our conversations about hypnosis which is that hypnosis is just like a concept that's used like as an umbrella or like a way to talk about uh, different techniques of controlling the mind but yeah. like there's a lot of like control of the like control of the mind obviously like one has to control one's own mind it's part of being disciplined it's part of you know one conditions one for instance like through prayer like regular prayer you have to condition yourself to do that that's like how you form habits or whatever you know in the same way that you absolutely would condition like uh you know a pavlovian slave to uh you know, whenever they hear a bell, take out their uh, revolver and shoot Kennedy or, you know, whoever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. But no, that shows uh, you it can be used for very positive or very negative purposes. And so, yeah, I guess. And like the line between like what's hypnosis and what's not, you know, it's like kind of it's a construct. And like there's a lot of mind control that happens. And like we all kind of control each other's minds. You know, if uh, when you say an idea, you know, uh, it like can slip into my brain, you know, or if when I say something, it can slip into your brain when we're having these conversations mm-hmm. on the podcast. And Ideas can be... You know, it'll even at- slip past your filter, you know, and you'll just... Uh, not even necessarily even remember that it was me that said it, but you'll find yourself, you know, yes. uh, having a reflexive sense that like this is somehow true, uh, or you know, I think that the kind of thing happens a lot. Uh, so as yeah, as every like ruling class, uh, as every like ruling class imperialist genius of the 20th century could remind us, you know, things like communism are an infection and they're an idea, yeah. a memetic mm-hmm. infection that memetic can virus, float around. Yes. Much like, yeah, memetic much virus. Like religion, according to Richard mm-hmm. Dawkins, you know, yeah, it's a mind yeah. virus uh, that reproduces Yeah, it's a mind itself. virus. Yes. Mm-hmm. But yeah. sometimes, uh, right. you know, it, it's not all bad. But I do, I will, I am holding out some skepticism of just kind of uh, lumping this in with every kind of kind of uh, sort of kink or BDSM thing and not I, I think they're all right that you know it's like there's this broad definition of hypnosis and stuff but you're starting to deal with something on a more acute level when you are uh, doing sort of a you know consensual non-consent and I feel like you know uh, rolling it out in this kind of wild west free market kind of only fans culture and you know letting all this free content just swim around on the web and there's not really a super strong kind of like a, a regulation of it that you know it opens the door How for more people to be getting mind uh, control i know swerve, i'm being I, <laughs> from you but no yeah I, mean, I definitely agree with that like it's become much more popular and it's a, a much more ubiquitous thing where people are you know using these type of techniques and seeking out these techniques and like whether or not like you know whether or not it's like against their their you know again it's a, so hard to decide like you know what people really want you know where does yeah. free will begin and end you know it's a great philosophical mm-hmm. question but it definitely is true that you have more people seeking out this kind of dependent uh weird parasitic relationship with like these strangers like online like porn stars whether there's like a, a really a component that even deals with like hypnosis or not you know this whole thing with people like buying gifts over only fans 
you know, there are permutations of that which are, are yeah. old, but like the... But this is the real bleeding metal, edge but, of like you know, the parasocial it, yeah. frontier is, yeah. is like being hypnotized by your dominatrix um, to empty your bank yeah, account. It's, <laughs> it's hypertrophized like in our current system where like everyone, you know, in the same way, it's like the... Yeah, it's like uh, the worst kind of like online dating where like, you know, you can just go on your computer and find yourself like you know, someone to, like, completely enslave you or whatever, and just, uh, you know, uh, and I think that, yeah, I mean, there probably are even more, I mean, I think that's probably, like, the bindoms themselves on OnlyFans, like, maybe OnlyFans itself as an institution is something that, uh, you know, uh, is using the the labor of those individuals to do that on a mass scale. I mean, I would be more mm -hmm. concerned with the manipulation that happens on the ma on a mass scale with those sort of same patterns of mind, that same yeah. like inculcated desire for this dependency and slavery. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. Literally beg for like to develop your kink yeah. to be, to want uh, to be a slave. I'm sorry. That just comes a yeah, little, I don't know if that's like, something you know, it's cool if people want to do yeah, it, but I, I, maybe we shouldn't be like promoting that by, on a mass scale. The way that, that could be used by, uh, you know, the like the the pleasure of giving up the you know, control or, or of one's own mind or whatever the idea, the association between those two things. The way that could be used, you know, in, in other domains beyond just like sex, mm -hmm. sex or even sexual commerce, you know, is uh, very worrisome to think about. But yeah, you know, uh, it's definitely uh, a problem uh, in our uh, internet culture now, where people can just like fall down. A lot of these different rabbit holes, like the, the like the, the, the internet is like one web of like mental rabbit holes that you can mm -hmm. fall into and just go nuts. Whether it's like Joker poker or yep. you know Farm Bill or yeah. uh, you know being uh, hypnotized every single day, like you know and just sitting in your chair like edging for like seven hours and like sending tribute uh, to like Miss Domina XX like five <laughs> or whatever. Uh, yeah, or, you know, yeah. being like a Q and like hunting for clues of QAnon or Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's all just like an MK right machine. Or, or what. Like pick yeah, your flavor they, and then you uh, wash it, your own it, brain. It's, a huge it's like MK a self checkout kiosk. Yeah, I mean it's like a was was amplifier, you know, the the whispers <laughs> of, of Shaitan, the was was uh you know oh, okay. like really, <laughs> the was was uh, yeah. yeah yeah whispers uh it just like uh will amplify whatever wasp boss is going to get to you and uh it, it like hook you in with like oh you know just waste your time doing this like you know enslave mm -hmm. yourself doing this uh yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, be a slave what did aldous so, huxley say like the painless concentration camp of the future where people will, will be slaves and love it you know yeah. uh kind of sounds like compatible with the chicken factory a little bit and you know yeah, i think it's interesting that actually I, I didn't realize this but uh patreon has has banned consensual non-consensual you know uh basically uh like hypno kink uh like n you can't uh which you know makes them swerves yeah. and you know yeah any particularly hypnosis related because I, well, I mean it seems broader but it also seems like nonsensical <laughs> Uh, like what you know, consensual. It says, uh, well, here's another article from early this year that you know, from Daily Dots, really on the pro uh, hypno kink bandwagon. They said, Patreon is removing erotic hypnosis content, it's a dangerous sign for porn. Other kink artists are also at risk, and so I guess, yeah, they uh, they basically there are several Patreon users who create erotic hypnosis content, claim their accounts are being targeted by the site for breaking Patreon's rules on sexual violence, so they classified. Uh, erotic hypnosis as sexual violence and yeah I guess uh, 
I guess all these people are mad about it. Well, I guess and you know, uh, certain scenario, it's certain like a fic- like a Dracula scenario. Even if like, you know, that is a rape, pretty much. Wait, say that I again. Yes, like a, a Dracula hypnosis scenario. That's a rape. You know, it basically like, uh, is. If, like, I mean, you use your eyes to like incapacitate her. That's still rape. Uh, you know, or like if you manipulate someone into. It, having sex with you through like mind control that's that's rape so you know it, the it would be of it. i'm not saying that like you know all these people are being raped or whatever i'm sure like part of it like there's a there's a role-playing aspect to it but yeah I mean, in theory in theory it, it like, opens itself know. up you open yourself up to basically because you know as as we say all the time now that esterbrook said like you know you you can't really it, it's difficult to hypnotize somebody against their will overtly but you can definitely hypnotize them like without their consent and then once they're hypnotized you can find clever ways to circumvent whatever they're kind of normal will like conscious will is and get them to do things they probably otherwise wouldn't do and especially when you're building a kind of relate like a one-on-one relationship with somebody you're paying on only fans or something then you know somebody could really kind of get to like you know get get to read you a little bit and then figure out ways to get you to do all kinds of things and you know one of the people in that original article also mentioned that sometimes the clients have uh, temporary amnesia after their sessions so it's just like candy jones where they don't remember what happened and if you're if you're especially if you're doing something nefarious you could probably put in some extra hypnotic suggestions to be like you're not going to remember this you know so it just opened it up like you know we gotta uh folks we gotta shut the whole thing down we gotta shut down this hypnosis uh game until we figure out what the hell is going on i think it's uh it's out of control it's weaponized folks and you know it's us so um, we got to be careful. I know that makes me a swerve or whatever, but yeah, you're, yeah, you're <sighs> you know, a, you're a hypno, you're a herf. Hypno yeah, I'm not hypno. defending hypno Harlequin, uh, who got kicked off Patreon, and um, wow, yeah, they say they say that uh, okay, yeah, the the Patreon statement to the Daily Dot about kicking off the hypnotic Harlequin was a violation of our policy is when hypnosis is used as a coercion mechanic for non-consensual sexual content, typically in a fictional scenario, at which point we consider it to be a glorification of sexual violence. Uh, oh, they were talking that's about, yeah, an- another meek one. That's like a uh, Spengali type thing, you know, like, yeah, mm-hmm. again, like Dracula basically would be yeah. under that policy. Yeah. Like a Christopher Lee type Dracula, anything like that. Yeah. yeah. They also say that, uh, that, yeah, they also say we also do not allow other fringe sexual fetish creations such as incest necrophilia or fetish creations that is hard to distinguish from non-consensual sex uh, when a creator's account is placed on review we work one-on-one with the creator to bring them back within guidelines and blah 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 um so yeah i guess uh they they don't go we for don't that jimmy savile stuff hypnotic harlequin but what if hypnotic harlequin <laughs> hypnotizes them and just letting her have her account back uh mm-hmm. they better not work one-on-one they better have someone there you know to make sure that the the first patreon representative doesn't get hypnotized Um, i would hope so i would hope so but you know just be uh careful out there if you want to be a bimbo that's fine but don't let somebody bimbofy you you know it's funny that like it's so like pc it seems in a way but also like the idea of being a bimbo is like such like a popular thing like it's you know obviously like i feel like the idea of a bimbo is like inherently sexist but I don't know. That's yeah, I've never heard it applied to a man before. I guess that's part of the um, the part of the the meme like that's is that maybe yeah. Uh huh. Like yeah, yeah. Or you could be a himbo. Um, yeah, you could be a himbo. You could be a himbo. Like a yeah, 
Yeah, that's mm-hmm. different. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it yeah. is. Um, uh, but, you know, yeah, just... Yeah, I feel like uh, if you were a bimbo and you are a male, then... Well, yeah, I guess it could go either way. You could be feminized and become a bimbo, like a female bimbo, or you could just become a himbo, where you're, like, you know, buff and, like, a, you know, a himbo. I don't want to be hypnotized by anybody. Is that, is that make me weird? <laughs> I just don't no, want to be hypnotized so. by anybody. Uh, not in that way. Yeah, not I mean, in like an explicit way. I don't think that certainly don't want to pay yeah. for it. Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah. You know. But it just it shows you now it's like gone mainstream. So you know we might even be far beyond talking about just like pop stars getting hypnotized by sus celebrity NL you know NLP people, and now it's just like gone. You know it's been democratized uh, to the masses, so everybody can just MK each other for small amounts of money. And then, you know, maybe it is kind of like an outsourcing, you know, creating a distributed network of MK people that, I don't know, maybe you could even keep track of people who get into the sissy thing. It's like yeah, it's a subpopulation like you could the, pull from. Well, yeah, I feel like the, the real, like, concern is, like, when, you know, uh, on a sort of mass scale where the, like, uh, you know, massive, like, multinational corporations or just even, like, you know, large uh, controllers of, like, channels of content, uh, you know, the manipulations of our minds that they do, you know. Uh, yeah, like, also, like, no one wants to have their... every I think everybody... I feel like probably even most people who are, like, uh, sexually turned on by hypnosis, like, I would imagine that they don't really, like... Or at least they have some conflict, you know, like it's hot, but like, you know, it's, it's wrong, you know, like they, they want to walk the line, you know, they don't want to have their life destroyed. They don't want like their Findom mistress to call them up in the middle of the day when they're at work and like tell them yeah. to like stand up in their cubicle and like pee on their desk and like get fired. <laughs> like, true, know, like, true. How much their yeah. Findom mistress like controls them, you know, I think most people like want to have like some sovereignty, like in freedom, but I think, you know, yeah, I mean, there are ways that uh, those things can be, like, subverted. So I think that the, I don't know, there's subtler uh, things at, at play uh, that one needs to be to be worried about. But Yeah, I'm just looking uh, at, I'm looking at hexcorp.net right now, and it is the sussest shit absolutely ever. Hexcorp. And I that do not the, recommend the anybody. cyberpunk drone thing? Yeah, cyberpunk dronification. Uh, yeah, they have, like, you know, just, like, drone brainwashing chamber. Um the our site hosted oh, yeah. uh I feel like you I've know i've seen stuff like this like uh that meme that's like uh you know i'm not a cute tomboy i am an nb like have you have you seen that uh no no i mean that sounds like, like uh yeah hmm no I it's haven't. like a, a i've seen like a, you know people uh post different things like caught and paste different things into it yeah i remember my friend uh abdullah was uh saying uh a version where it's like uh you know i'm not a cute dimmy i am an assyrian or something you know like i'm not hmm. dimmy, i'm, I'm this uh, is very you know, weird it's it's it, uh, okay but, the, yeah uh, it's like uh yeah that it, it's very creepy and okay the the programming while hypnotized uh sub page uh yeah so you want no to be, i mean uh, the, Drone. This is weird. They offer drone. you they offer you a guide to learning JavaScript, but say that it will also um, like hypnotize you. Basically, uh, like while you're learning how to code JavaScript, you will become yeah, the starter guide to software development whilst falling into a deep trance. What? This is <laughs> a really, really millennial like, uh, I guess dominatrix or like sex uh worker person uh mm-hmm. like the fact that it's like also a coding boot camp and like 
Uh, yeah. Dominatrix. I guess this is, I guess, you know, they told people to learn to code, and now that's what they're going to do. They're going to learn to code and learn <laughs> how to be drone slaves. Yeah, like cyberpunk drone got fired slaves. from, like, you know, uh, the New York Times or whatever, and they went to go learn to code, and, and they became, uh, like, cat girl drones of this, this person. Um, oh all right, I'm God. done looking at this now. It's, yeah, all right. I think we're, upset. yeah, it's, uh, it's dark. Uh, yeah. It's dark. to yeah, number four. Do you want to read that? Yeah, Jinji00, who I, I remember from past Q&As. Hello, Jinji. Jinji writes, With the recent LNX stuff on Twitter and the talk about Satanism, I was wondering what the host's thoughts were about exorcisms. And since I'm a filthy papist, I wanted to know specifically your thoughts <laughs> on the diocese in the Catholic Church keeping exorcism retention and training new exorcists. Also, what your thoughts are on the claims that certain dioceses are seeing an uptick in requests for exorcisms by parishioners. I wonder uh, since when there's been an uptick. I mean, definitely I think that like the movie The Exorcist would have catapulted the Catholic rite of exorcism and the Catholic practice of exorcism into the popular consciousness. Uh, just, mm-hmm. you know... It, in the special about uh, satanic uh, murders and satanic violence uh, that uh, Geraldo did on Halloween with Aquino, uh, they they had a Catholic priest there, which I feel like is mm-hmm. part of the legacy of the movie The Exorcist and the association between Catholicism and exorcism, where, yeah. of course, like, you know, I believe there are uh, still very active Protestant practices of expelling demons. I mean... Certainly, it's a old Christian practice because Jesus performed it in the, in the New mm-hmm. Testament, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean all religions uh, that I know of have some form of exorcism. Absolutely, uh, I don't know of one that doesn't. Uh, yeah, you know, even uh, going back to more like shamanic kind of earlier uh, forms of you know kind of folk religion that still kind of you know yeah. persist in modern times. They always, I mean, the the. You know, some some are more uh, kind of you know uh, have a more complex relationship with spirits, where they're they're not necessarily yeah, they'll interact all... with, but they yeah they they but they definitely acknowledge the malevolent world, ones. A shamanic figure, yeah, yeah a shamanic figure will yeah in order to sort of be a mediatory pa- presence or power uh, mm-hmm. to deal with the, the the dangers and problems of the spirit world. You know, yes, yes. Uh, you know, yes. there are probably are good spirits, obviously, or maybe even the malevolent beings are the same class as the, <laughs> the benevolent ones in some way, uh, in certain mm-hmm. forms of animism, maybe. Uh, 
Although yeah. a lot of the time they have uh, other uh, like different categorizations of powers and things like that than those that can possess people. But spirit possession is a very widespread belief and phenomenon. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm very uh, much a believer in possession uh, as something that is phenomenally real. Uh, you know, uh, and I think that it comes down, uh, as I've said on the podcast before, I think to the, the reality of the experience people have of being possessed mm-hmm. by demons. And yeah. that's just simply, uh, how it is, you know, you being like, well, there's no such thing as demons doesn't change <laughs> that person's experience. So it's really Absolutely. irrelevant. Like your beliefs are irrelevant, uh, to, yeah. uh, or ontologically irrelevant, not theirs. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> not their experience, uh, their lived experience of being demonically possessed. Um, so exactly, I would yeah, agree with I, that. I, I would say I would yeah. err on the side of saying that. Yeah, it's uh, it is something that is experienced as real in these cases, uh, in some of these cases that happen. And you know, if 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 somebody believes it's real. I think we, we've seen in various instances throughout history that we've highlighted, like, you know, maybe like the Salem witch trials or something that then uh, like going along with that belief and fighting that uh, whatever force that is like on on its own ontological terrain can be more effective than trying to convince them that like it's all in their head or like they're being ridiculous. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like that's not a yeah, very effective way to. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's crossover between, of course, like mental illness or schizophrenia and uh, gin or, or demonic possession. Uh, sure. But, uh, a lot of the time there are traditional paradigms for dealing with these things. You know, again, like it's an epistemic uh, problem. Again, I would recommend that book, which deals heavily with this topic, not with the Catholic side, but with the Islamic side, uh, not of the soul, not as in like the not you tie. Uh, mm. by Stefania Pandolfo, which is like an ethnography of Morocco and talks a, little, a lot about Rukhia and, and healers and basically the sort of epistemic clash between the psychoanalytic framework for dealing with mental illness and the tr- traditional paradigm or the Islamic framework, uh, traditional Islamic framework uh, for uh, approaching this. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of nuance uh, going on there, uh, even tension within like Islamic discourses themselves and within psychoanalytic ones, uh, you know, internal uh, tensions. But anyway, uh, I kind of digress. The yeah. point is, yeah, good book that deals with this kind of uh, liminality or ambiguity between uh, the sort of mental illness and, and demonic possession and how to navigate the this experience of it as being one thing, you know, that comes into play. But it's really the one who's like the believer is the one who's saying like, well, science says there's no demon. And the one who like is experiencing something is the victim of possession. So it's, like, not even a matter of, like, belief versus belief and, like, people's beliefs being equally valid. It's someone, like, saying, I'm feeling this, and someone else saying, well, I don't believe that. So it's, like, really not even commensurate That, in that can't way. be true. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Why don't which, we you know, believe people when they tell us Is it the very least not helpful? It's the very least not helpful at all. Uh, uh-huh. and the yeah, time, exactly. Yeah, like if you have some way to solve it that is based on your ideas then maybe then that's okay i think as we said in the past like yeah okay sure we'll show us your solution but usually it's not something that is is available like it's, you can't just you know reason someone out of this or even yes deal with it through like the most advanced techniques of psychoanalysis or, or therapy of course uh, or, well you know, although uh, you know to to get uh, back to like the original uh, part uh, you know the question of 
you know, uh, Jinji was asking us, like, what our thoughts were on dioceses, like, keeping exorcists in retention and training new ones. I have to say, like, at the, the bottom line, you know, uh, following on everything you just said is, like, uh, I, I, I support it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see any reason not to. Yeah. Uh, to keep exorcists around. And actually, you know, it's interesting, yeah, you bring up the kind of um, the supposed clash between maybe, like, a psychoanalytical medical framework for approaching these cases versus believing in the religious whatever you know uh, of what they're experiencing but the catholic church actually does you know i i do it is one of the things that i kind of admire about them i have to say you know just in this like isolated sense of this tradition they have carried on for probably I don't actually know exactly when they started, but maybe that book you mentioned talks about it. But basically, you know, they've been doing this for hundreds and hundreds of years and uh, are still sticking to it. But they have updated. I guess they updated their rules in 1999 to help distinguish between genuine demonic possession and physical or psychological illness. So much like in the movie The Exorcist, like they come at it from a much more kind of Father Karras kind of Jesuit, I I would say, kind of approach more so than maybe some people would think where you know the, the catholic church goes through this kind of exhaustive process of investigating yeah, kind always, of like the ever movie since i've heard yeah yeah ever since i've heard i mean i guess maybe a lot of it is influenced by uh the movie the exorcist and, and popular culture but i think that, that is something that the movie gets right and probably the novel in which the movie is based that they really it's really hard to get something confirmed as demonic possession like they're yeah. very scrupulous about mm-hmm. insure, like, you know investigating every other possibility before they decide okay that we can perform an exorcism uh, yeah yeah no they do they do um, and but they still do you know so they like any I, i'm looking at number uh, multiple articles because i don't know it's a perennial topic that people i guess get interested in or magazine editors mm-hmm. want somebody to write about but over the last like 10 years there's just constant articles about you know there's a new vatican course opening up to 250 priests in 2018 uh called exorcism and the prayer of liberation and uh, which was opened in 2005 and people from 50 countries came you know to learn how to do exorcism rites and there have been multiple countries where they've been kind of prominent uh, what they're called major exorcisms so there's actually a distinction between the two there's i guess a kind of minor exorcism which is sort of a a rite and a sort of a ritual rite that you sort of uh, profess in Latin that can sort of cast out demons in a general sense from like an area and which has actually gotten a lot really popular in the last year in a couple cities in the US but then there's major exorcism which is what we would normally consider like the the like the movie like some an individual mm-hmm. is demonically possessed and then you have to do a series of rituals in Latin to to uh cast out the demon but you know there have been there's been ones in mexico in brazil um i believe in in the czech republic and i don't know if there's any in the united states like very very recently but it is endorsed by the u.s conference of catholic bishops you know they there's a whole thing on their website about exorcism and uh you know they they approved the uh, English translation of the exorcism, the exorcismis et supplicationibus quibustam etitotypica in November 2014. And, uh, you know, the I guess the newest text of exorcisms and related supplications was confirmed by the Holy See in 2016. And, you know, they... Uh, something I was reading, you know, reminds here, or one priest said, you know, uh, don't think that we've 
stop taking the devil seriously. Pope Francis talks all the time about the devil and, you know, is saying that in the 21st century, we have to be especially on guard against him because he's out there. And so, you know, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's what is really behind the um, people in, I guess, Jinji said, like claims of certain dioceses seeing an uptick in requests. I don't have anything at hand that really... Oh, okay. There is something from BU Today, Catholic University, uh, from 2015 that was like, why Catholic exorcisms are rising by a professor here. Let me see. Uh, I guess it's well, controversial. You know, think... Some people criticize Pope Francis for trucking and superstition for kind of going <laughs> off it's about... It's really funny because, like, if you believe... Like, it's ridiculous to... I mean, I, I almost feel like if, you know, they also do confessions to absolve people of their sins and things like that and they also like give people uh transubstantiated wafers and things mm -hmm. uh, but i don't understand so what's the difference like you know it, why not retain exorcists like you already are yeah. like uh supposedly god's anointed uh one true institution on earth uh yeah. established you know uh to communicate why would you not do that him. like why would you not have exorcists like there's all like it's it's interesting that that would be sort of it's almost like uh, what a demon would say like uh, you yeah. know like yeah it is uh, almost like what like, a demon uh, what would a de say what, what, what a demon would say like well you know it's uh why would a religious organization have exorcists like in this day and age like uh well why not i mean it's a church uh, -huh. uh whatever yeah but, yeah no it's a it, it's a church and, and you know what there's I mean, also an like, interesting that's a big part of the new testament is actually you know i am legion uh, etc jesus does it yeah, so, and of course, you know, there's other, there are other, uh, like we said, there's a lot of religions that engage in, including uh, certain strains of Protestant Christianity, like Pentecostals, that have exorcism rituals and stuff. But I think that particularly vis-a-vis -vis other Christian churches, the Catholic Church has always been a little, like, very... Um, like jealous in like the the kind of classical sense uh it, like the new the ten commandments sense of like they've jealously guarded their institutional rights for exorcism and kind of poo-pooed the other protestant denominations that run around like casting out demons and stuff like that as basically kind of like reckless not very effective and potentially like dangerous and that like they have they have the real formula like the blueprint to fight the devil and it only and you know that's kind of why they 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 make a big show of how careful their process is and how they do absolutely everything and i think oftentimes they're even critical of other other religions kind of jumping the gun and trying to do like bootleg exorcisms that end up you know often abusing right. the person I mean, that is possessed refrain because yeah abusing the person or being dangerous you know it's a common thing mm -hmm. we're dealing with demons, or spiritually you know, dangerous if you're trying to do good yeah exactly uh if you're not doing it well and even uh catholics who aren't properly trained or uh, spiritually prepared i would imagine would be vulnerable uh if they were engaging with the devil or a powerful demon uh mm -hmm. in the process of an exorcism so probably you know there's a high bar uh i would uh, assume yeah yeah actually this um this bu professor uh says something um David Frankfurter, uh, who is the professor and chairman of the religion department at BU, he, he had an interesting answer, you know, kind of they're kind of asking him, you know, Pope Francis is talking so much about, you know, the devil and exorcisms. And some people are saying that's bad. Uh, you know, certain demons are saying that's bad. Uh, certain and, demons you know, have, yeah, some demons have gone on record saying 
Yeah, they yeah they're saying, like you know, it's, uh, it's been claimed that uh, exorcisms are surging. Why might that be the case? And he says, many of us in America and probably Western Europe might think of exorcism as a holdover from medieval times, described in the Gospels and saints' lives, and something that the Roman Church properly abandoned in the Second Vatican Council to make itself modern. But the idea of an evil force, of Satan and his demons invading bodies and things and thereby afflicting our lives, has a very modern aspect, too. It captures anxieties about a more extreme evil in the world, anxieties that could encourage through the global news cycle and exposure to stories of terrorism, crime, corruption, and catastrophe. Why did that guy murder his children? Or that woman murder all those men? What inspires those drug cartels to behead people? When people experience the world as not prone to ambiguous events, but really inconsistently bad events, then Satan and demonology become that much more useful explanations. Of course, for many traditional cultures long familiar with local spirits, jinn, fairies, trolls, ghosts, and such, any religion's capacity to talk seriously about spirits, even as demons, will make that religion more recognizable and familiar than one that rejects the idea of spiritual powers. That's why Pentecostalism, for example, has become so popular. So, you know, I think... You talk about why are those drug cart those CIA drug cartels beheading people? Um, is it because Satanist Michael Aquino literally taught them how to do it at the School of the Americas? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Not saying that's what happened, but you know, I mean, as we've traced the the satanic. Uh, source of a lot of these like power networks that are behind very evil events around the world, you do have to almost like wonder whether they properly would acknowledge it as like satanism as such that there's this like shaitanic strain in yeah a lot of a lot of those events and then at a certain point you know i mean i I think that's a backdrop to like our entire podcast is like at a certain point these catastrophic events just started to feel you started sensing the dracularity and then once you start Mm -hmm. sensing the dracularity you have to start you know all of a sudden it doesn't become so outlandish and goofy and medieval Dracula keeps coming up, I think, uh, in this episode. I mean, uh, in, yeah. in very different contexts. I mean, I guess we do uh-huh. have Dracularity, so it's a, a touchstone that we return to, so it kind of makes sense. But Dracula is a very good paradigm, I think, for this. You know, especially if we talked about this in 9-11, that is the Dracularity of 9-11 in a way, because part of it is that it creates a climate of spiritual battle where it sort of shatters mm-hmm. this uh, sort of, you know, when John Harker goes to Transylvania, at first he's very put off by the uh, superstitious character of uh, this peasantry that he encounters, yeah. right? But mm-hmm. of course, you know, he's soon thrown into a world where he's desperately dependent upon those superstitions and like flings himself into them completely. Uh, because yeah. of like what he's confronted with it's the same type of thing where people are uh you know uh, finding themselves falling back on on these types and yeah i think that's kind of what yeah uh, what we've seen less so than like a really an uptick i mean i'm sure there isn't a way an uptick and i think that catholicism is something that i've observed at least having kind of a, a revival among younger people in the same way that occultism has had a revival among i guess we're not really younger anymore uh maybe younger than boomers <laughs> but millennials yeah yeah uh, you know, Xers, yeah. having a revival traditional catholicism you know religious tradition and the idea of like a serious study of of catholicism or of uh you know axial religions mm-hmm. has had a revival among millennials in the same way that the occult and, and astrology and these things and interest in those things have so they're proportional movements in in a way uh but Really, maybe there was a lull for a while in this type of thing when, when for the most part, you know, I'm sure that exorcisms have been, 
maybe they have never been higher. I mean, there's more people now than there ever have been. So maybe yeah, we are but I, I think you know, I, I I think it's maybe a recognition of um you know this this professor also says that in a more practical sense that believing leaning into the belief and and com and willingness to combat demonic possession gives the Catholic Church a competitive edge around the world with Pentecostalism because people that are you know say in uh, South America or Africa or you know parts of Asia places where the Catholic Church has kind of uh, expanded its influence gradually like over the, you know, the the decades and centuries and still you know there are a lot of Catholics uh, on like you know the African continent but basically the idea is like if the converting somebody to Catholicism as opposed to a kind of Pentecostalism, which is very comfortable talking about spirit possession, which is, uh, which aligns with the kind of folk religious traditions that are very based, you know, very, uh, much believe in the spirit world that basically Catholics are able to remain kind of relevant to people because that's actually like an immediate concern. If they're going to be religious, they want to be protected against evil spirits. And if the Catholic church is like, mm -hmm. gives that up and just decides they're not going to deal with that anymore, then that really alienates uh, people from them. It would and, be very uh, ridiculous yeah. to give that up. And I imagine it would be a huge scandal and they never will, nor should they. I mean, an Islam shouldn't yeah. give up the idea of demonic possession or being vigilant against uh, evil spirits because it's something that is in the Quran as uh, an idea, you know, to uh, protect yourself against uh, witches and then uh, protect, uh, to take uh, refuge with Allah from, from shaitan and, and from, from jinn and, and from wicked men so the mm -hmm. I, I think it's a you know it's an important idea something that needs to be done but you know the best exorcism is you know like to not have to get to that point you know you a prophylactic is is the best thing you know just don't don't uh you know get too into harry potter don't are you uh, victim you know, blaming are you occult, uh, <laughs> are you possession uh, shaming uh people that get possessed because they play D D or you know, I mean, well, you know, it's like going back to like no. a sissy hypno. Uh, no, 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 like, no. what not if you're everyone, not everyone what, who is possessed? What if Lil Nas X was? Yeah, but you know, do to try to avoid it. You know, it's not your fault. Well, unless you did uh, directly ask the demon to possess you knowingly, then it's not your fault. It's the demon's fault. You shouldn't. Uh, you shouldn't blame yourself, but you know you should also t be cautious. You know, just be cautious. Yeah, I mean, you got deceived, uh, but yeah. but like, don't try not to do that. Don't do that. Don't invite a demon to possess you. Just don't. Yes. Better mm -hmm. safe than yeah, sorry. Don't invite a demon um, to possess you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, agreed. Yeah. I I wouldn't say in terms of the uptick. I wouldn't say that there is an uptick in the amount of demons. Uh, I'm not sure if the amount of demons or the amount, you know. My, Do they fluctuate? Uh, sort of. My ontology of these things is a bit different from the Catholic one, but uh, I don't know if the amount of possessions really has changed, or the amount of uh, spiritual or malevolent predations from uh, beings that are of a different order from humans. If that's really increased, or if it's just that people have become like a bit more vigilant. But I think at the same time, like I said, you know, people have become more vigilant, but that's also kind of partially because people have become more like curious and like all about yes. like consorting with demons as well so uh well, it, it's yeah, definitely I, a dial it's definitely a sinister dialectic because you know the more that Lil Nas X twerks yeah. on Satan's lap and you know sells blood shoes the more people are gonna get kind of um upset by that and start actually like actively resisting the satanic imagery that is you know embedded in like our pop culture 
uh, more and more openly, yes. it seems, every year. Mm-hmm. And people are, are literally, like, getting more vigilant uh, the more it gets, like, thrown in their faces, you know? So, yeah, yeah it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that and that's maybe kind of an optimistic thing is, like, the more it gets kind of thrown in everybody's faces, the more people are going to kind of snap out of the trance a little bit, like, I don't know, just sort of the secular it-doesn't-matter trance and be like, hey, wait a minute. Like, Satan's supposed to be, like, a villain. Like, why are you identifying with, like, the, the father of lies and evil and, like, deception? Like, yeah. that's... He's There's not so cool. He's like, not fucking cool. Delusion. There's so much self-delusion around it. I don't, did I mention on the podcast? I think I did. Like, there was some tweet where it's, like, there's a long tradition of, like, sexuality in, you know, someone, like, uh, owning people who are being critical of, like twerking on satan and like believing Uh that you're gonna like you know usurp him like you know like uh whatever uh darth vader and uh the emperor but yeah uh, yeah. like you know people who are critical of of that imagery or that no yeah dark Sidious, of course yes uh you know (laughs) also known as a shiv uh palpatine but anyway yeah yeah, like uh (laughs) people who are critical like people seeing like well you know people uh, talk about spiritual intercourse in these you know medieval christian diaries of monks so uh checkmate is like well you know, yeah, maybe there is a certain libidinal aspect to the language that they're using to talk about their union with the divine they experience, like, in their contemplations, but they uh-huh. didn't, like, create anything with them, like, you know, suggesting that they were, like, a lap dance or, like, a, a picture book or anything of them lap dancing <laughs> or a, a miniature of them lap dancing on God, and even if they did, that would be God, not the devil. That's very Ooh. different. Like, that's yeah, not the yeah. same. So, like, if people just marshal their knowledge to try to defend this, not even really even thinking, like, whether there really is an analog here and trying to su- suggest, like, I mean, I've been saying throughout this episode, like, uh, trying to talk about uh, what the precedents for certain modern phenomena we see are, but that's something that, you know, I mean, there, there are some precedents, you know, there are some times people joke about the devil, people make uh, ironic remarks about, about Satan. I remember, I think I maybe mentioned on the podcast before, there's one miniature painting where, this like miniature painting, I forget from what, I think it was a Safavid uh, painting, but I don't know. Definitely was Safavid, I don't know what exactly it was, but uh, mm-hmm. it depicts like some people committing uh, sodomy and the devil was there like uh, saying like, don't blame me for that. Like, I, you know, uh, I wouldn't even think of that. So there's these little uh, jokes or people taking on the persona of devil worshippers to kind of, uh, compl- you know, they'll praise the Sultan by saying like, oh, you know, poor Satan, he's been uh, destroyed by our Sultan, you know, things like that. But you're saying like they had, they, ir- they had, they ironically had sympathy for the devil. Yes. Yes, exactly. Hmm. Yeah. LOL. Uh, I have sympathy for the devil. Um. <laughs> LOL. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But I think that like, you know, that like these, some of these analogs just like don't hold up and people are just like not even really thinking about like the, the difference. And before we can even talk about, whether the difference is okay or not or like what how we feel about it we have to like deal with it and not pretend that it doesn't exist but i mean this is again kind of a tangent but i wonder i will ultimately uh god will win but Mm -hmm. i wonder if like the i think yeah for now the shaitanic current is more powerful you know there are definitely some who are like well i need to get uh, interested in exorcism like maybe i should train to be an exorcist uh who have that sort of <laughs> lust for spiritual battle and they want to get into it but i think for the like most part even if there has been an increase in kind of uh maybe sensitivity to spiritual matters or religiosity mm-hmm. or to the unseen world you know maybe the uh, end of the 20th century in some ways i think mm. still you know it's 
it's mostly been like kind of dark most of that is being directed in like dark direction that is being pushed into dark directions yeah yeah we're but, seeing we're definitely seeing a, a resurrection of certain dark vibes but the also lines are, I the think lines are being drawn where you have to pick they are. are you pro shaitan or anti shaitan it is coming and down to the ultimate hegelian dialectic of yeah are you yeah, with shaitan are there's, you with there's truly nothing new under the sun uh, the entire cosmos, uh, yeah, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, there's nothing new under <laughs> the throne of Allah. Uh, uh, there's, yeah. Um, no, there, there ain't. There, there really ain't. So yeah, so keep it up, uh, all you cats out there. Keep your exorcism department, you know, going yeah. and keep Stop it strong. Doing, uh, doing, critical support right about, for you. You're right about demons. Yeah, critical support. Critical of the the shirkiness, the shirk <laughs> stuff, and. But other than that, yeah, and the whole like halul and the incarnationism. But other than that, chill. Uh, what you're doing is chill. Uh, I support the <laughs> idea of exorcism. Do we want to um, move on to number five here? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, it, this is um, from Ossificans, and they ask, "What do you think of the Jeffrey R. McDonald triple murder case, aka the acid is groovy kill the pig story?" It's always been a case where the official explanation of him killing his family and claiming it was a Manson-inspired hippie cult that did it to get the heat off himself never really felt 100% right, especially with his incredibly sus background. The whole story oozes with Dracularity, question mark? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you know much about this case? Uh, I think I, I didn't really know too much about it until being asked this question, honestly. Um, and I well, actually, I think bit, we did. But... We brought it up. It's not out yet, but I think it will. It will be by the time we drop this. But uh, when we had Ed Opperman come on Subliminal Jihad, I believe we brought mm -hmm. this up because this was that case in 1979. Uh, and I'm sorry, it, it was a 1970 murder that happened, I think, at Fort Bragg in North Carolina, uh, North Carolina. And mm -hmm. remember, we were talking about it was the first case. I guess on the oh, appeal yes, that, that Ted Gunderson got involved in in like right. 1980 to try to get him off. And it was the first time he kind of went out there. It was like right after he retired from the FBI and was claiming that there was some I, I, I forget exactly. It'll take me a second to like look through it. But I, I think he started making some of his big claims that he would go on to make on like Geraldo and Oprah and all around in like the eighties and nineties during like the satanic panic. But this is a very weird case. This guy was, and I guess I think Ed Opperman has studied it pretty extensively. Uh, he also remember he, he postulated whether or not Michael Aquino was on base at Fort Bragg at the time of these murders and I think, mm -hmm. I don't know if he exactly was in February 1970. It's possible that he was still in Vietnam at that point, uh, or he maybe had just come back. But he was in and out of Fort Bragg because he got Green Beret and Special Forces high-up mm -hmm. training in, like, 68, I think, in 69. So he was around North Carolina at that, that time on, on the same base. But this guy, Jeffrey McDonald, was a former physician and a U.S. Green Beret, and he has always proclaimed that he's been innocent of the crime, which was, uh, I guess, murdering his pregnant wife and two daughters in February 1970. And his story was that there were four intruders to his house, three male, one female, who broke in and attacked him, his wife and his children with knives, clubs and ice picks. And, uh, you know, prosecutors thought instead that, you know, he did it. And I guess he's lost all of his appeals. But. Apparently, this is one of the most litigated murder cases in American criminal history, which is mm -hmm. kind of a staggering, you know, and he's 
Yeah, and, and you know, because the motive, right off the bat, it's kind of like, huh, okay, this is weird. Well, okay, he was a, um, he was, he's actually from uh, Long Island, and let's see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he met his wife in, like, eighth grade, um, and I guess they, you know, became friends and were real, like, you know, true love kind of soulmates or whatever. And school, um, school sweethearts, yeah. Yeah, in middle school sweethearts, yeah. And uh, then, I don't know, they broke up, they got back together. He got a scholarship um, to Princeton University, enrolled as a pre-med, and he broke up with, uh, with what's her name, uh, Colette, um, Colette Catherine Stevenson. Um, and he went to Northwestern University Medical School in Chicago, and let's see... Yeah, they graduated in 68, moved to New Jersey, uh, did an internship at Columbia Presbyterian, and he said it was a horrendous year. He was overworked. And then in 1969, it is kind of a weird trajectory for a guy to go through, like, Princeton and then medical school, in like, Northwestern Medical School, and then join the Army in 1969. Okay, so that actually, hmm, um, that is interesting, because... Uh, okay, so he was briefly deployed to Fort Sam Houston to undergo a physician's basic training course and opted to join the Green Berets while stationed there. After six weeks, he was posted to Fort Benning, Georgia. Although he joined the Army knowing he might be deployed to serve in Vietnam, he later learned that as a Green Beret physician, he was unlikely to serve overseas. That's bizarre. Why wouldn't Green Beret physicians serve in combat zones? Like, what the hell else would they be doing? <laughs> The medical yeah, experiments on people, maybe? Uh, I don't yeah, know. So, uh, people, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so, okay, uh, in September 1969, uh, one month after the Manson murders, he was assigned to 3rd Special Forces Group as a group surgeon at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and was joined by his wife and children. And he lived in the part of the base reserved for married officers with, that had military police security. The couple became popular among their neighbors. Wow, he bought his daughter. In Christmas 1969, he bought his daughters a Shetland pony, anticipating this, the family would soon relocate to a farm in Connecticut. He kept this purchase secret from his wife and children, and he and his stepfather-in-law drove them to his stable as a surprise on Christmas Day. The daughters named the pony Trooper. And she, uh, everything seemed to be fine. She was pregnant with her third child. In 1970, he got the rank of captain. Uh-oh. He was planning to study advanced medical training at Yale University upon completion of his tour of, du- uh, tour of duty. The, uh, this is like a play-by-play of basically of the night where it seemed like a pretty normal night uh, on February 16th and 17th. Um, he was like playing around with his daughters. They were watching Johnny Carson. And then the story about that he gave of what happened, which, you know, was determined to be a made up story uh, by the courts, something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. By the courts, it's determined to be a made up story. Yeah. Maybe it happened. I don't think so, though. Yeah. This is what he this is what he did. He called at 342 a.m. on February 17th. They got uh, dispatchers got a call from McDonald who faintly spoke in the receiver. Help. 55 uh 544 castle drive stabbing 544 castle drive stabbing hurry the uh, operator then heard the sound of the receiver clatter against a wall within 10 minutes they got there and they found the front door closed and locked and the house dark inside they went around the back and they discovered the back screen door closed and unlocked and the back door wide open and then 
like uh, call at McDonald was discovered sprawled on the floor in the master bedroom. She lay on her back with one eye open and one breast exposed. She had been repeatedly clubbed about her body. Um, the pathologist would note these wounds had likely been inflicted as Colette had raised her arms to protect her face. She'd been stabbed 21 times in the chest uh, with an ice pick and 16 times about the neck with a knife. And but then beside her, Jeffrey McDonald. Two places. Ugh, yeah. This is like uh, Richard Ramirez, like Phoenix program yeah. stuff. Uh, Jeffrey McDonald was found lying face down, alive but wounded, with his head on Colette's chest and one arm around her neck. As military personnel, he he whispered, check my kids. I heard my kids crying. And, uh, yeah, both kids were brutally stabbed to death uh, in their beds. And on the headboard of the McDonald's marital bed, the word pig was written in eight-inch capital letters. The blood used to write this word was later determined to belong to Colette. So very similar to the Manson, uh, the CLO Drive murders. And um, he... Uh, this is bizarre. After received an impromptu resuscitation, McDonald sat upright then exclaimed, Jesus Christ, yeah. look at my wife. I'm going to kill those goddamn acid heads. Yeah, I so know. That, that's like a line that's like, all right. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, what the anyway. hell? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess um, his story was that three. Yeah. These like. Th wow. OK. So he claimed that 2 a.m. He had washed the evening's dinner dishes and went to bed, although his daughter had wet his yeah, bed. He so went. he had taken her downstairs right. and mm -hmm. he was awakened right. by Colette and Kimberly's screams. Wife. Yes. Yeah, so, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, so right. he, he he slept downstairs. Yeah, he was sleeping on the couch. Yeah. Uh, okay. Because yeah, he didn't want to change the sheets and wake her up. And then he heard his wife screaming, "Jeff, Jeff, help! Why are they doing this to me?" Uh, according to him. Yeah. So he went to go to their aid and was attacked by three male intruders, one black and two white. The shorter of the two white men had worn lightweight, possibly surgical gloves. A fourth intruder he described as a white female with long blonde hair, possibly a wig, and wearing high-heeled, knee-high boots and a white floppy hat partially covering her face. This sounds like uh, a Findom uh, attack. Mm -hmm. uh, the individual stood <laughs> no nearby kink, uh, holding game. a lighted Yeah, she was holding a lighted candle chanting, Acid is groovy, kill the pigs. Chanting, Acid is groovy, kill the pigs. Wow. Uh, yeah, so is the three males then attacked him. Um. Uh, yeah, it was Bernie Dorn. The three males then attacked him with a club and an ice pick with the female intruder shouting, hit him again. Uh, during the struggle, his pajama top was pulled over his head to his wrist, and he had used his bound garment to ward off thrust from the ice pick, though eventually he was overcome by his assailants and knocked unconscious in the living room and the hallway leading to the bedrooms. When he regained consciousness, the intruders left the house. He then stumbled from room to room, attempting to wrath substitute upon each of his daughters to no avail. That's odd that he said that in his account. If he, when he woke up, he was like, check on my kids. I heard my kids screaming. He'd be like, I know that my kids were attacked because I tried to get it. But anyway, then yeah. he discovered mm -hmm. his wife. You know, he pulled a small knife from her chest and tossed it to the floor. And he attempted in vain to find her pulse. Then he phoned for help. According, you know, that's, that's his account. But yeah, I mean, it's a very uh, bizarre and eerie tale. Uh, it seems not true. I'm not saying that, I don't know what did uh, happened, but I mean, I think he probably did. I don't know. What's your take? Do you think that it was well, some kind of psyop on him or on the country at large? Uh, I, I, the fact that it happened, when did it happen? In... So it happened like, um, yeah, so it happened about maybe six months after the Manson murders. And mm -hmm. 
I forget if they had actually caught Manson in February 1970, because uh, it did take like six months for them to actually catch. Let me just check right here. Because basically before Manson got arrested, the the operating idea was that it was like a bunch of Black Panthers that went and killed all these people. And, you know, they wrote like political piggy on the wall in blood. So, you know, I guess it, McDonald's thing was that this was maybe a copycat like Manson murder. But the fact that knowing we know all the sus connections like the Manson family had and I don't know, the whole May Brussel kind of theory that there was some kind of like Operation Chaos thing. And then the fact that like this happens at Fort Bragg, the center of like special forces that were, you mm-hmm. know, like that that just feels a little bit too bizarre. And I guess, you know, uh, yeah, I guess I'm trying to look through right now and see. Yeah, it just doesn't add up to me either that I don't know that he would do this and then just like make up a goofy story and lie about it um but at the same time it like there's there's definitely something missing i don't know they did all kinds of things uh they didn't really have dna evidence initially i mean you could say that maybe it was an op to uh suggest that there were more of these manson cells like stoke panic or uh wider belief in 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 this or uh to perpetuate the meme in some way but I don't know. It does seem pretty guilty to me. I mean, one like big thing is why didn't these intruders kill him? Why was he the only one left alive? Well, I mean, well, to be the patsy, to be the, you know, the to to be set up for it or something, I guess. Or maybe they thought they killed him. And then, you know, they Maybe. decided to, after the fact, because they didn't arrest him right away. They were away. really sure about the, they really, you know, went overboard with the others, though. They were really, you know, sure to do this. What uh, What do you mean, the others? Uh, like, that they, you know, they really, yeah, like, butchered. Oh, yeah, like, really killed victims. them. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're yeah. right. They, they, so maybe they, I don't know, maybe they decided to leave him alive because they thought, you know, nobody's going to believe you. Um, I, I am seeing here that, you know, in 2012, he, he appealed this a few times. He actually got let out of jail the fourth circuit of appeals overturned his conviction in 1980 so like kind of right after he got convicted and because they concluded his right to a speedy trial had been violated and he was released but then two years later the supreme court reversed that ruling and sent him back to prison which kind of seems like that's that's a big thing for the supreme court to like step in and be like oh that guy who got exonerated like send him back so I don't know. But then, you know, like over the years, uh, when DNA testing came about, he tried to get testing of the evidence to prove someone else killed his family. In 2006, a strand of hair from under two-year-old Kristen's fingernail could not be matched to anyone. In 2012, he got a new hearing, and the lawyers for McDonald's said he deserved a new trial for several reasons, uh, including that a deceased U.S. marshal was reported to have said he drove Helena Stockley from South Carolina to McDonald's trial in 1979, and she admitted being in the McDonald home during the murders. However, the marshal allegedly said Stockley was coerced by a prosecutor to keep that to herself, lest she be charged with murder. So I don't know who that is, Helena Stockley, but I guess maybe she was the the white lady who, like, the Findom? Yeah, allegedly, according to Ted Gunderson, you know, she confessed to him that, you know, there was a drug cult that she was in. Um, and they hated mm-hmm. McDonald because he wasn't treating uh, heroin and opium addicted patients. Really? And so they plotted to, yeah, to seek revenge hmm. on him. Yeah. 
Interesting. So according to Gunderson, that yes. So McDonald's attorneys filed an affidavit on behalf of Stokely's mother, who stated that her daughter had twice confessed to her that she was present at McDonald's house in the evening of the murders and that her daughter was afraid of the prosecutors. McDonald requested to expand his then outstanding appeal to include this affidavit alongside all the evidence mass of the trial, the developments which he claimed had been subsequently discovered, including the 2006 results of DNA testing, and the statements of individuals to whom Stokely had made these confessions. This appeal also alleged the trial statements of prosecutor James Blackburn should be considered unreliable as he had been convicted of fraud, forgery, and embezzlement and subsequently disbarred in 1993. These motions were denied uh, based on jurisdictional issues, specifically that McDonald's not obtained the required pre-filing authorization from the circuit court for these motions to the district court. So I wonder if there were any further developments with that because they were denied at that time. It seems I, like on mostly a technicality. Yeah, very kind of odd. I think even um, did Errol Morris do a documentary about this guy too? Yeah, um, yeah, he wrote a book. He had a, a book called A Wilder. There was a yeah ethics documentary, A Wilderness of Error points the lens back interesting but he points it back on himself yeah i guess maybe he wrote a book apparently also uh according to there's a book called a uh, fatal vision which is uh you know a uh, about this by joe mcginnis and it mm-hmm. alleges that he was on escatrol a lot of escatrol so what is escatrol maybe they had a it's a it's a murder-suicide pill. Um, oh, no, basically. no. And it's a dextroamphetamine sulfate prochlorperazine, which is like an antipsychotic, I guess. It's like a stimulant with amphetamines that also, I guess, maybe has some other uses. But yeah. Sounds so, like Captagon, the favorite drug of ISIS. Interesting. Um, yeah. It was in an effort to lose weight, apparently, via a weight control program for his Green Beret unit. A weight control program. Hmm. So yeah, Joe McGinnis' theory that he had like was that he had a psychotic rage, possibly, hmm. and he just like you know snapped and, and murdered his family, possibly due to his abuse of the drug. I yeah, yeah. Maybe they were on murder suicide pills. Maybe it wasn't even really escatrol. This just feels yeah. I, who the hell knows? And I'm just looking at the Errol Morris thing because Errol Morris is sus. Remember he got hired to do like an internal documentary about Theranos, and I feel like he's popped up in a few other. He did the Warmwood documentary about Frank Olson and MK Ultra with Cy Hirsch, which was like kind of interesting, but also really I don't know. Everyone involved in it felt kind of sus. Like he's he's one of these guys that uh, gets to run around with like the, the power elites and be like Mr. Documentary. And he also, he kind of co-produced the FX series with a guy who had worked on the jinx about Robert Durst, you know, where they got him to like confess, like in the bathroom with a, you know, a hot mic. And then also the capturing the freedmen, uh, capturing the freedmen's, which I remember, I think it was like Oscar nominated was kind of this big deal, but I remember going back and watching it more recently. And, um, kind of sus like kind of sus like it's really kind of um it's about this guy like discovers i guess that like his dad was like a pedo in the 80s in long island and uh, i i feel like it it ends up kind of like uh like one of the brothers like loves his dad but it kind of takes like a satanic panic attitude of like the community like ganged up on him and like kind of like freddy kruegered him and like ruined his life even though they found like child porn like hidden in like his basement that he'd ordered from like the netherlands and stuff but like he denied that he was actually abusing boy just very weird and but then was like celebrated by hollywood it's like this amazing complicated story of you know when people get crazy and start to 
you know, just like, oh, like Lynch, a pedophile. So I don't know. And then the Ted, the Ted Gunderson on the Ted Gunderson aspect on top of it, where this is where he really cut his teeth, uh, kind of, um, you know, trying to get this guy uh, released and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It just seems like there's something very weird going on. But I, I haven't done enough of the, the original digging to give more granular, I think, uh, analysis. Yeah, it is that. an interesting story, especially, yeah, like as Ossifikin said, uh, in terms of his background, you know, his military background is involved in the Green Berets. I would lean towards the idea that he did it. I don't know where Helena Stokely uh, features in. I mean, I, I don't necessarily believe, I definitely don't believe his story. <laughs> I don't think his story is true, but maybe, like, the official story isn't true either. And maybe, and he may believe that he didn't do it. It's possible. I mean, I don't know. Or he didn't do it alone. Was he hypnotized? Was he, like, hypno-kinked by, like, uh, whoever trained Aquino at Fort Bragg? It certainly seems like, yeah, an illusion that would be created by a hypno-kinkster with the thigh-high boots, the the (laughs) thigh-high, high heels. In a blonde wig, holding a candle, chanting, "Acid is groovy, kill the pigs." Uh, Acid is groovy, kill the like, pigs. It's sort of like I mean, you know, it's uh, sometimes like you know, with uh, you mentioned Bernadine Dorn. I guess some of her statements really would be like uh, that absurd, but it kind of has like a uh, you know, like the same vibe as that guy who spray painted his driveway with a blacks rule. It was like. Black Lives Matter yeah. attacked by yeah. It kind of has a black yeah, or like an vibe, incorrect like yeah. anarchy a. You want to read that? Yeah, Mm, sure. Uh, Red Arrow asks, I'm curious if you guys uh, think there's any weight to Phantom Time Hypothesis or Fomenko's new chronology. I don't necessarily think either theory is particularly convincing, like the timeline for Phantom Time Hypothesis doesn't line up at all with non-Western history or observed astronomical phenomena, but I think the idea of large chunks of missing or fabricated history is really fascinating. Yeah, the idea definitely mm. is fascinating. Yeah, I don't know yeah. about some of that stuff. Yeah, like, uh, for instance, the, yeah, like the, I think that pretty much like Muhammad would have to be completely made up according to Fomenko's theory, uh, which is the one where Charlemagne is like totally made up. Uh, I think that was and, the phantom time hypothesis. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which was uh, by uh, Harry Burt Illig. Uh, rolled that mm. out in 1991. And oh yeah, yeah, new chronology is what Fomenko's theory is called. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that uh, for anybody that isn't familiar with it, yeah, it's basically that right, there the are. Yeah, I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are hundreds of years. I think of what we would 
kind of call in in the western tradition like the middle ages or the dark ages uh were kind of like made up and actually historical like historical antiquity is therefore much closer in time because they've added i don't know how many years they added but i think it's usually along the lines of like oh they added like a a thousand years or something to it yeah so actually like apparently the hagia sophia is actually the biblical temple of solomon and solomon is sultan solomon the magnificent so he was fomenko was writing much later so he was able to say things in the like to talk about the early modern period when was the phantom time about this? oh that was 1991 that they first came up also with recent so yeah also pretty recent so they would really be saying wow this is funny yeah so they would be saying things like the early modern period were cognate to things that were supposed to have happened like in solomonic times uh mm-hmm. okay. yeah yeah uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah 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 he like totally rejected uh common you know common dating methods like anno domini ad uh you know thought it was bullshit and actually what's interesting i didn't know this about the generator of the new chronology theory anatoly fomenko he was born in 1945 in stalino in the ukrainian ssr and is basically i think he's still alive he's 76 now and he was a he was a fully employed and respected member of the Soviet Academy of Sciences uh, for you know and then after that the Russian Academy of Natural Sciences and by all accounts like was not um, even though it's not like his full you know like the focus of his research was on proving the new chronology but I guess he worked on a lot of state sponsored kind of studies uh one of which was like an open source analysis of contemporary western media news which were analyzed and searched for misinterpretations of actual events by mixed teams consisting of various soviet scholars using interdisciplinary approaches and statistical analyses of textual information in particular so they would they would translate the new york times or they would analyze uh the new york times washington post bbc (laughs) and uh and search them carefully for discrepancies and inconsistencies prepared the consolidated reports for official use only dealing professionally with biased information in the media at some point Fomenko became obsessed with an idea that the entire history of mankind was skillfully falsified on purpose and decided to apply the same methods he used during his contemporary studies to study ancient That's events amazing. I mean uh, he's doing Soviet praxis there uh, what, what can you say that sounds uh, like an amazing story that I, like a life story that I would want to learn much more about uh, yeah, yeah I, totally. I mean I find the idea and there are things like, you know, in terms of the actual dating system that we use where, like, there are aspects of people in power, like, transforming uh, our uses of chronology for uh, uh, frivolous or apparently frivolous or symbolic purposes. I mean, like, we still have the months of July and August, you know, those mm. are named Roman holidays. Caesar and Augustus. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, they're, like, they were inserted not Roman. originally. Yeah, the reason why October is a 10th month is because there's, like, additional months uh hmm. like october 8th you know uh, oh yeah you're right yeah it doesn't really make a lot of sense it does it it does it's it's, uh, it's all kind of breaking down isn't it who who invented mm-hmm. this uh, system you know the bcad <laughs> what's going um, on here yeah, uh yeah well, there oh used yeah to be a 10-month calendar and there was a uh, quintilis was july i guess uh i guess the the roman calendar was was 10 months and mm, interesting yeah so there there have been months that have been added and things like that you know so there, there, there are things like that. I mean, you know, people fudge dates. You know, dates have a lot of symbology. So, uh, I mean, Timur of famously is supposed to have been born under 
is the Lord of Conjunction, you know? So you, when you think about that, you think of the grand conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn, but that's not really what he was born under. Uh, he was born hmm. under the conjunction of, like, Venus or something, some some lesser conjunction. But people tried to, you know, fit it to be like, oh, you know, he's this prophesied great ruler who's born in his conjunction. And I'm not even sure if the dates really even line up, like, it, roughly, you know? But so, like, stuff like that does kind of happen. I don't know, like, what mm-hmm. effect that has on chronology. You know, people use different calendars all that stuff is there you know there can be uh differences in dates you know uh people's senses of the past uh can be wrong in certain ways like did jesus christ was he born on december 25th like no no he's born <laughs> you know, things like that well, yeah. well, he was born in the something, summertime quite the opposite right wasn't he born in like you know something June or July? like that yeah like a, yeah something like around but they did like, it to align with the by, winter solstice by passover yeah well they yeah there was previous like so uh solstice festivals and things so they you know, mm-hmm, exactly celebrate but birth i don't know sense, you know but you know Fomenko, he's got some mm-hmm. yeah fomenko has okay. got some spicy takes though you know in his new chronology which i guess he based on statistical correlations dating of zodiacs and examining the mathematics and astronomy involved in chronology but you, you might not like this so much uh he claims that he discovered many historical events do not correspond mathematically with the dates they're supposed to have occurred on he asserts from this that all of ancient history including the history of Greece, Rome, and Egypt is just a reflection of events that occurred in the Middle Ages and that all of Chinese and Arab history are fabrications of 17th and 18th century Jesuits. He also claimed that Jesus lived <laughs> in the 12th century AD and was crucified on Joshua's Hill, that the Trojan War and the Crusades were the same historical event, and that Genghis Khan and the Mongols were actually Russians, that the lands west of the <laughs> 13 colonies that now constitute the American West and Middle West were a far eastern part of a Siberian American empire prior to its disintegration in 17th 75 and many other theories that contradict the conventional historiography to say the least that's almost it's so uh, it's such an interesting synchronicity that i just mentioned to Mur because that's really a very similar thing to uh chingisid succession and the sort of claim mm. to gang like it's, it's a 20th century example of the power of genghis khan as someone who you want to associate your authority and your power with and your identity mm. with you know he's basically trying to say like oh well we russians are really the Mongols were the heirs of Genghis Khan. Uh, yeah. Like, that's, you know, part of this whole thing. It's very interesting, yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah. Hot Tay Jesus, uh, born in the 1200s. I love that, like, all of Chinese and Arab history were a psyop by 17th and 18th century Jesuits. Yeah, I mean, it really... <laughs> how does that work? Like, yeah, exactly. Like, how did they get everyone to buy into this stuff? How'd they get all the I Arab mean, people and Chinese people that are around today to basically exactly, accept like, the psyop? Ex- of- yeah, how did they... It's the, Like, it's just the most mad... Like, the Jesuits would have to be nearly omnipotent to create a hoax on that scale that would have, like, no... It, like, were there any... Yeah, exactly. Like, all the real Chinese history was purged. It was all created by Jesuits. And, like, they everyone, like, abides by it now. It's absurd. And, like, the weird thing is, like, yeah, like, when, uh, why would all these other cultures, like, spend all their time writing about these made-up figures, uh, I guess it was just all, it, every, all history was actually written by Jesuits, I guess, I don't, uh-huh, well, yeah, I, yeah, so, yeah, yeah I like, think that's like really his these, thrust, like, so is that Jesuits, Jesuits have been, so uh, Jesuits they, were, like, writing in all these different languages, like, they were writing in the Chinese chronicles and everything, like, yeah, you know, yeah. That's they spread out around the world and they and created to what entire. End? To what end? <laughs> I don't know. You think they'd be further ahead of the game now if they really oh, were? I guess the everything. end would be to like erase the great like Russian, uh, Mongol, uh-huh. American empire. 
fire and like to try to destroy and undermine it and that's why. I guess what what was up with the Siberian American Empire like receding in 1775 and then immediately America gets founded what's up with that doesn't seem like a coincidence no but was America really founded in 1776 I don't know if he thinks that <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I really don't know um I'm, I mean well, I'm when, try- when yeah. did events start to become like, what like in sync like when when were we able to start accurately yeah, like, at least tracking yeah. like when did it go wrong basically when did people just stop being like totally psyop but like somehow not recording anything about like the real world that they were experiencing i really don't know i i don't know i i'm kind of interested to get a little more detail on exactly because i i heard a, on a podcast a few years ago uh, him being uh, Fomenko and his, you know, his whole theory being discussed. And I did think it was it was fascinating, partially in, in its boldness of just asserting like entire centuries didn't happen and everything yeah. is like much closer. But I, I am curious kind of like the actual dynamics of working at a theory like that, because you kind of do have to like rearrange everything. You got to I don't know. There's a lot of things you kind of have to answer for in a theory like that of when did the skip stop now the uh, the other thing you mentioned was the phantom time hypothesis uh which red arrow you know says doesn't line up at all with non-western history or observed astronomical phenomena but that one's a little bit i think more um circumspect in comparison i believe it it all it says is that the entire carolingian period including the figure of charlemagne uh is a fabrication and that was and, and there was a phantom time of 297 years ad 614 to 911 uh, added to the early Middle Ages. Now that I could almost, at least in I don't know, in Europe, I, I could almost kind of see because it is, I don't know. I mean, the whole Dark Ages thing is kind of bullshit, right? Um, yeah, the Dark Ages thing is bullshit. The idea. I mean, obviously that, for like, the Middle was, East, it wasn't a Dark Age at all. But I mean, even for all, Europe, yeah, where it was nor, like quote unquote yeah. dark, like things were still going on. It was just kind of like yeah, early. Yeah, going on. There were like, still innovations. There was still thought happening. Yeah, it's really, and the Byzantine like, Empire was like chugging along this whole time, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, so like, it, idea, it's not. Yeah, the Greek knowledge wasn't really lost like in Byzantium per se. Uh, uh-huh. So it's yeah, like the idea that that happened. It's more of like a like a renaissance uh fable a lapsarian kind of uh image of history where like the you know obviously something that was made up by people in the renaissance who saw themselves as, like the retrievers of uh greco-roman knowledge uh mm-hmm. greco-roman mm-hmm. antiquity which you know uh there this was like a social phenomenon that d- did have certain reality but it's not an accurate representation of the middle ages uh, that they were like you know a time of of darkness or of lack of thought or you know, maybe mm-hmm. uh, a certain posse of sources maybe was was the original idea behind it even, but it certainly is like not, uh, you know, uh, true. And no medievalist subscribed to that at all. Uh, like no serious mm-hmm. ones. Think of the, the Dark Ages, obviously. Apparently, uh, the Phantom Time hypothesis guy was uh, like buddies with Emmanuel Velkovsky. The world yes, I guy. saw that. Yeah, and he he was the one. I think I might have read his. It was either his book or a book about him. Yeah, he was like a catastrophist, uh, basically, and I think he was the one that had that idea that Earth was like twenty thousand years ago or something was a moon of Saturn, and then like a planet came in and like disrupted it, like ripped us away from its orbit, 
and thus like there's like this deep human memory of growing up in the shadow of saturn and that's why like cults are all obsessed with it it was kind of <laughs> interesting it's like wild stuff um but yeah he yeah he said he said that uh, it had been a proto-saturn body or he said the deluge noah's flood had been caused by proto-saturn entering a nova state and ejecting much of its mass into space and suggested the planet mercury was involved in the tower of babel catastrophe jupiter had been the prime mover in the catastrophe that saw the destruction of sodom and gomorrah and periodic close contacts with a quote cometary venus which had been ejected from jupiter caused the exodus events and joshua's subsequent sun standing still and uh yeah, like I guess you know, just like the, our close contacts with these celestial bodies, going back to the first question, really kind of fucked our shit up at various times uh, in deep antiquity. But I don't know. Yeah. Is it weird to say well, that? The is, uh, I don't know. Yeah, there definitely it is definitely weird, and I do not think it is true that uh, <laughs> the figure of Charlemagne in the entire Carolingian period was made up. Because for the main reason being that you can really follow like the discourse around a lot of these major figures and events across definitely into like uh the what became like the islamic world you know and into the byzantine empire like they talked about these people and these things like and these events there what is like a connected uh tapestry of history so you can't mm -hmm. really take that time from one without the other it would have to all be adjusted so you yeah. get to the point of yeah, like, why did they all conspire to do this? And it would basically, yeah, I mean, it really would kind of require, uh, it's a huge deal that it encompasses the life of Muhammad, like, and <laughs> really, like, the, the crucial first centuries of Islam. Uh, again, that is a period that people, like, don't know much about. There aren't many, it's true, there aren't many sources from that, from that time about Islam, so... You know, and I feel like that's something, uh, I feel like people who are, like, anti-Muslim uh, or whatever might be intrigued by this, because there are, like, Muhammad mythicists and things in the same hmm. way that they're Jesus mythicists, so maybe uh, they would they would be into it, but I think that these actually are, are, like, compared to a lot of things in history, like, in terms of Isnad, like, the Hadith that we have, like, these are pretty well, like, attested periods of time, and they are things yeah. that are remarked upon uh, as happening in the historical records of western societies or you know yeah yeah uh, so, i mean it, it is yeah it is it, yeah. it's it's kind of tantalizing that you know the at least the phantom time uh, hypothesis uh kind of started in 614 and you know correct me if i'm wrong but the uh the prophet uh died in 632 so this thing would have had to like develop during the lifetime of muhammad and then <laughs> thus all of the historical things i guess that are like in the hadiths um, that describe like the the succession and you know the whole Sunni and Shia well, thing. Obviously, and, don't like, describe the succession because well, not prophetic hadith because those are his. Sorry, not the prophetic hadith, yeah, but dead. but yeah, like our uh, history, which you know is uh, yeah the like uh, uh, the subsequent uh, writings, which you know there is not uh, too much like from those early days. Like most of the materials that we have are like eighth century, so like the early stuff. Hmm. Uh, like the like the early stuff is like I mean, there's more actually coming like there's a lot of interesting work happening in that area in terms of the seventh century um, mm -hmm. and we do have Qurans from around the time of the prophet uh, and, and, and such things so you know that are, are dated to the sense using the inaccurate methods of radiocarbon dating or whatever that you know uh, obviously mm -hmm. are all falsified and don't work uh, and just suggest these <laughs> false history well why would you make up Islam if you were Christian because that would be yeah. Like if you perpetuate, be competing I mean, that with is yourself. That evangelicals have 
uh, I've heard evangelicals say that Christ- that Catholics made up Islam and that it was like a, a Catholic plot and heresy and that it, they were basically like the same thing. Because like, hmm. you know, but that's like sort of your evangelical demonic Catholic thing that you, you yeah. hear a lot where it doesn't necessarily have to make too much sense. But like, I feel like if you're <laughs> Christian, like you would not want to make up Islam because it's a big competitor and it's very hard yes. to convert Muslims compared to non-Muslims uh, to Christianity. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Unless, yeah, you were truly devious and you didn't want to convert them. You just wanted an excuse to have like a war uh, and kill a bunch of people. I don't know, maybe. But then, why would everyone believe in Islam? I mean, uh, that's yeah, I guess no, it's different. It, 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 you know, even the evangelical out. like Catholic psyop theory of like you know all these events were manipulated, but like time isn't missing makes more sense than the idea that like time is also missing and like we just mm. jumped in history like and nothing happened during that time and suddenly. You know, people talk about, like, how Islam emerged too suddenly anyway to say that, like, we went from no notion of Islam, like, no such person as the Prophet Muhammad, to 1911, the year 1911 AD. Like, that mm-hmm. would be crazy. Like, that would mean that so much would be made up. Like, the whole, yeah. like, Umayyads, like, a big chunk of the Abbasids, uh-huh. I think, would even be made up at that point. So, like, Hussein, Hassan, like all that stuff would be made up so mm-hmm. yeah 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 so I, I can't quite can't quite sign on to it um no <laughs> yeah most yeah. of the acid era would would be made up only the very very tail end uh wouldn't be so we would just basically jump from no islam right to the abbasids not very tenable at all it's pretty much a huge transformation, uh, an enormous transformation. Yeah, yeah. But, I don't know. It's yeah. bold. Uh, I admire, you know, the boldness of it, kind of. But uh, yeah, admire the boldness. The idea, yeah, the idea is interesting. Uh, and you, like you said, there are certain things like that where chronology and time is manipulated for like political purposes, but maybe nothing quite so enormous. Nothing on that scale, uh, I don't think. You know, hmm. yeah. uh, Allahu yeah. alam, okay. you know, if I'm, if I'm wrong, I say Allahu alam, you know, maybe <laughs> uh, like a, a religion that just popped up somehow in this uh, entire uh, made up period of time. Uh, sure, sure. Due to Jesuit By some Jesuits. But, yeah, 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 some uh, Jesuits. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, they're sneaky. Yeah. All right, let's, let's uh, move on here. We can go to. We can go to number seven from Dirt Dog. I'm not sure if Dirt Dog is new, but what's up, Dirt Dog? Yeah, Dirt Dog. Dirt with one for an eye, Dirt Dog. I with a, Dirt with Dog one, yeah. New. I would have noticed yeah. Dirt Dog before. Uh-huh. Um, and so they ask a question, which is an interesting question, but uh, yeah. I guess somebody was going to ask sooner or later. They ask, what's the image in the podcast album art from? Well... I think they already yeah, solved it in the grotto. A, so it's like a, yeah, this is kind of a whimsical, like or uh, spur of the moment choice, actually. Like that just happened like the week that we were like launching the podcast or like recording yeah. uh, the first couple of episodes. With that picture, yeah, yeah. Was circulating on Twitter, people were saying like, "What's going on with this picture?" This uh, is a fucking because, like all right, like if you like just stare into the fucking void of like the hyper real simulation that we're all living yeah. in, and like it, it really did it grab me. I'm staring at it right now. For yeah, so anybody who doesn't know, uh, there was an incident last uh, summer in August uh, 
and there's an article here it was in toronto and it was like the cherry beach chainsaw attack and it had this video that went viral where like these two dudes who kind of look like i don't know for lack of a better term like kind of like ms13 like psychos uh (laughs) kind of like they got like full body like one guy is like full body tattoos they apparently at this uh beach in toronto um, they emerged out of the bushes covered in blood <laughs> with chainsaws, like turned on chainsaws, and were just like stalking around the beach, threatening people and kind of acting like really aggressive. And somebody was filming it. And but the picture they took and I watched it, I actually went and verified it. Like I I watched the iPhone video or whatever it was, the cell phone video of these guys marching towards you know, the, the filmer, uh, with their chainsaws. And I screenshotted the exact moment of like the kind of the photo that went viral. Cause I thought, I don't know, maybe did somebody like Photoshop it afterwards to like smooth it or whatever. But what you notice when you, you screenshot it, it's like the exact same thing as, as the photo is in the video. So, you know, I assume from whatever I know about, you know kind of a camera technology or whatever that this possibly was like some kind of glitch with maybe like the stabilization feature or a kind of smoothing mm-hmm. feature or yeah. kind of blending of pixels and things like that yeah. but mm-hmm. the picture is incredibly sus like if you look uh, i don't know if you're staring at it right now but like just over I the shoulder the of the main right guy now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you watch the video, or you just look at our podcast, uh, little, you know, our, our, our poster art for well, it yeah, on Twitter or anywhere else. In, I'm trying to see it in motion here. Uh, I put it in the yeah, question subchat in the grotto. The you thing, can see the thing, the thing moving in the in the back. Yeah, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, whatever the hell it is, it's yeah. It, it's, it looks it's like much, it, it's like Slender Man, like a cool yeah. version of Slender Man. Or a more it's kind of a, a cross between like a Slender Man and like an Egyptian, one of those Egyptian gods that has a bird head. Huh, like I, that's how I've always that's how I've always looked at it as a kind of like a beak. Like it's got this long oh, like a beak doctor mask or something. I think of it, that's interesting because I think of it as just having like a void for a face. Um, like. The, I, the way I see it is that it has, like, kind mm. of a, a, a pyramidal hat and, like, okay. kind of, like, a hood. I can definitely see the beak now that I'm looking at it, but I, I've, I've seen, like, you know, like, a, a sort of a hood, like a black hood and then, the, like, the yellow void for the face. But I can also see what you're saying, where it's, like, a beak. Uh, yeah, I mean... Yeah, so really I, I was trying to... It is, and there's... There's a person behind them, too, that's kind of, like, standing, facing towards the water, just to the left of the, the bird the bird gin thing, and uh, it's just yeah. kind of, like, a, a an unspecified kind of blob of, like, a person, kind of mm-hmm. with, like, a featureless kind of... It's very bizarre. Like, even with the kind of auto... Uh, kind of uh, fixing, auto-focus kind of stuff that cell phone cameras are capable of now, I've never seen something quite as bizarre as this. And especially in the context of these two guys covered in blood with chainsaws stalking around a beach, like, for no reason, just, like, threatening people randomly, and yeah. I they, they just, like, marched off eventually. It was very... I think they got arrested. I didn't get to see what their names were. Yeah, they were. got arrested. They didn't, like, kill anybody. They just, like, attacked. They lunged they at cyclists. Around, like, what the hell? Yeah. 
And this gin, so this like bizarro like like gin is like just lurking <laughs> in the background, staring. It seems like staring straight at the camera, like it yeah. knows what's going on. And also, you know, it's like the kind of thing. Also, I think when people on Twitter are posting about it, like if you kind of look at a small version of it or look at it like far away, it doesn't quite jump out at you at first. It's like oh, there's somebody like blurry in the background, kind of like yeah. watching the situation. But then it's like the closer you go, the less sense the picture makes. And it just becomes yeah. more and more just like a smear of like reality, like being it's like a it's like this person is like like this thing is like bending reality yeah. around it, it, it has or a something. Very, very clear. Yeah, it has a very clear personality. It has a very clear impression that it uh -huh. makes uh, on you. Like it has a very clear identity like this. Uh -huh. It's not. Yeah, it is like a smear, but it's clearly humanoid and it definitely has like a certain uh, um, persona to it, like a certain uh, character, like where, yeah, like you feel like you can kind of relate to it in a way. Uh, you know, I uh, the the standard explanation would be like this is in fact a person, but what you get is not a person anymore. Uh, this is just like no. a weird blob of like colors and shapes, but it seems like it's wearing some kind of bizarre like smeary clothes. It looks like you know, yeah, like a pilgrim, yeah, a cloak, like a, a pilgrim from like the Jin realm. Uh, <laughs> it, it really does and observe. yeah yeah now were you able to see when you just watched the video i think i'm gonna try to watch it now and see if if the person in the back did, were you able to see the person in the background from like any other angle that actually made them look clear or is that the only glimpse you kind of get of it i'm actually looking at an alternate at, angle now i was mostly looking at the the uh the type figure uh, I wasn't really looking at the other person um, I am see seeing somebody walk around in the background walking. I'm walking right now yeah. and I see a bunch of people like you know in the background like by the trees but that's okay I, I, I got a, I got like another screenshot because you know the first time I, I tried to do the most accurate of the screenshots God, these guys really are covered in blood this is super scary um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know weird. what the hell are they doing there's also yeah. an entire Reddit thread about that beach, and they were kind of, um, they, people were saying that they're, like, I don't know, somebody was there, like, in the weeks prior uh, on Reddit, and they said that, uh, yeah, they were three weeks ago, before this attack, they were with their kids in a cargo bike and had a terrifying encounter they were just like down around that area when two police SUVs came absolutely tearing down the road without sirens on and nearly crashed into each other as they skipped to a stop near us. Like they were pedaled to the floor in full panic mode the whole way. Then only a few feet away, the cops flung open their doors with shotguns in hand. I guess these are Canadians, so they're scared of that. Uh, with shotguns in hand and sprinted silently into the bushes, never even looked at us. It seemed they were trying to keep everything as quiet as possible to take down somebody dangerous in the woods. I have never noped so hard out of any anywhere in my life wow i uh, yeah i don't didn't ride back on the trail and never will again yo yeah that is so like what's going on in these like woods around this fucking park mm. and why are the cops like aware of it and mm. it, this wow. is very uh wow yeah, and i guess i don't know somebody attacked it might have been attached to an anti-mask event which is kind of even weirder uh, yeah, they said, especially since it seems like that is like wearing like a mask straight from 
uh, like the Kabuki Theater of Hell, or uh, yes, you know, exactly, you know. exactly. All right, now let me. My uh, my screenshots have been developing for the last uh, thirty seconds, so let me look at some other angles of uh, the Gin Man <laughs> and see. Okay, so this one, they're a little bit. It, they're still sta- They're kind of standing in the exact same position. It seems like the entire time yeah it does kind of seem like they're weirdly like crab walking uh i think it's probably <laughs> just like the nature of like the way it's important but yeah it, like it's very weird it's like a like a video game like that it's just like sc- scuttling back there it's very weird yeah all i can uh, say is that it's not it's really not that much clearer there's still like an incredibly ambiguous kind of thing and uh i still yeah, even just a couple seconds after, there's still a kind of warpy effect going on. I don't know. I mean, I think maybe if it, you got high res enough, like they're a little bit more clear, but it still kind of looks like a, a gin that you can't quite pin down. Like, you know that, you know, those photos on Twitter that are supposed to uh, represent what it feels like after you have a stroke. And it's like a just like a weird assortment <laughs> of different things that at first glance kind of looks like recognizable stuff. But the longer you stare at it, like nothing actually looks like anything. And it kind of makes you go insane and people are like this is a this is kind of a good example of what it feels like like right after you have a stroke and you're recovering it's like it's like like that uh, kind of you know that weird like uh feature that google or something has where it's like the dream vision or whatever where like it interprets pictures and like adds all these weird things to them like based on google searches or something it just like kind of Hmm. tries to interpret it and adds in like what is it called like the dream google deep dream right deep oh deep dream oh and i I, i'm actually not Uh, familiar with that oh yeah it's like uh um like a a deep neural network uh when it's given a a certain image it'll like you know see all these different it'll kind of interpret it and see all these different things uh and sometimes it'll you know just add all these weird or all the time it had all these weird like sort of shapes and uh figures yeah i'm not sure exactly how it works but i definitely have seen it a bunch of times yeah it's a computer vision program that uh uses a convoluted neural network to find and enhance patterns and images via algorithmic pareidolia so basically it's programmed to like Hmm. see like all sorts of patterns and associations and then like impose like you know, if something looks kind of like an eye, it'll like impose an image of an eye, uh, or wow. Google or something like that. Yeah, so it creates a dream-like hallucinogenic appearance and a deliberately overprocessed images. There's also that thing where, like you know, this person does not exist that you see on Twitter sometimes. Oh yeah, uh, I follow that account. Like, yeah. Yeah, sometimes it'll capture like a group. Sometimes it'll get like a group picture, and then there'll be like these weird demons in the background, like these flesh blobs. Like that's also kind of what it's like. Uh, Oh god, yeah. You know, if something is obviously based like a picture that originally had two people in it, because it usually just combines like two faces. So just oh, I see. But there's like you know a weird other person like left out. There's just kind of these fleshy blobs in the background. Uh, That's like a like a lack of input to to build a yeah exactly like the picture has been warped in a way so like there's like this leftover like mass very weird and the result okay so there there's a little bit of like lore behind this where alan spencer who was like organizing i guess some kind of anti-mask party on the beach that day he somebody like leaked a i don't know text message or dm i don't know if this is all bullshit but that guy apparently said, I got chased by a guy with a chainsaw after he ruined our CDJs. Best party of the year. I slayed. So fun. Uh, till 9 a.m. anyway. Crazy. I think it was planned. And he said two tweakers in the morning showed up. 
one guy kept throwing pants and he said he wanted to hear walk walk my friend's jungle song i was trying to explain them but it's not that easy i can't just play the song i guess he was like djing and uh, uh. he said i i pushed him over once but i did not fight him because i kill him this is yeah texting uh and he punched me and i just laughed at him like that's what you're effing threatening me with i thought it was all cleared up i went to help a girl get some stuff in her tents down the beach i hear a commotion i just start running to a guy i give my effing drop kick 100 yards away i heard people yelling at me pain so i'll but I just ignore that. He's probably doing voice to text. I got about 10 feet away from him, and they both picked up chainsaws, and they asked, like, Asian guy with a chainsaw, an Asian guy and a white guy. Once the cops had them, I was like, I hope you like your effing song, bitch, LOL, trash talking. So I guess, yeah, like, they were, like, fucking, they were, like, tweaking out and, like, fucking with his party that was kind of, like, a mask protest, and then they, like, messed up his CDJs, which I guess are those little, like, you know, disc jockey things that you put CDs in and, and whatever. And so he, like, uh, attacked them or, you know, he, he'd hit them or something. And then they came back with chainsaws. And uh, mm. but it's interesting. He says, like, I think it was planned. What do you mean you think it was planned? Like, are the, I don't know. Are the cops like uh, like PTKing a bunch of tweakers out in the woods <laughs> by there and then like sending them to harass like anti-maskers? I don't know what's going on, but there's a lot of Dracularity in that photo, and I think when I found yes. it, it just immediately... I was, like, Photoshopping that night and just kind of, like, looking around for something, and then that when I saw like people talking about that photo... Dracula. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I thought, yeah. like, that's that sums up the vibe, I think, that we're, uh, that we're interested in it, on Subliminal Jihad. It doesn't Jihad. seem, like, totally malevolent. It also has, like, a sort of curiosity to it, almost. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a good mascot for the show, I feel like. It's, uh, yeah. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's lurking behind the the, the 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 ostensible villain you know you're looking just over yeah. the shoulder of the psycho with the chainsaw and there's this like being kind of watching from a distance observing <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, and they're like just, we're like, you know we're trying thing. to get to we're trying to find what who's that being in the background that people aren't focusing yeah. on and yeah. you know the more and even that kind of sensation of like the deeper you zoom in and the deeper you dive, like the more susceptible yeah. to like utter madness and just like everything falling apart, and, uh, uh, yeah. looking like you've had a stroke uh, or something like that, which we we try to keep in check, I think here. But you know, yeah. it's acknowledgement of the reality, I think, of the things we cover. So yeah, that's that's yeah. where that came on from. That, on that topic, actually, it's a good dovetail. Next question, which is also kind of about uh, meta things dealing with the podcast, which is. Uh, loving underscore the underscore new underscore regime i guess i should just mm-hmm. say loving the new regime uh it asks uh alwara meaning spiritual not really spiritual it has a uh, uh definitely has a spiritual use there is a good chapter on wara in a book i've recommended on the show before which is uh, al kusheri's epistle on sufism which you probably can find in english just by googling i in fact i know you can find it in english on google mm-hmm. if, if you just like google uh al kusheri uh epistle on sufism pdf but uh, anyway, so Wara is kind of like, I think in that translation it's rendered as scrupulousness, but really it's kind of, this is not the best analog. I like it because it's a uh, like a, a popular kind of Sufic term. It is often referred to a, a station of Wara as like a, 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 a sort of a place in the Sufi path or a station in the Sufi path. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a pun between station and frequency in Wara frequency. But 
what it connotes in, in many ways is sort of a vigilance, actually, or a watchfulness. It's like a hyper watchfulness. It's almost sort of, sort of OCD. There are some uh, good little anecdotes uh, demonstrating Lara as, as a value uh, in uh, Al Kusheri's book. There's things like Jesus brings some man back from the dead and asks him, you know, how he's doing. And he says, you know, I've been doing well, but I uh, was delivering some wood and I dropped like one splinter and I've been uh, suffering for it like for hundreds of years or, so, or something like that. You know, it's wow. all about like uh, zooming in. It's the sort of uh, the value, uh, uh, spiritual value or the religious or pious value of zooming in on like the tiniest details. So I thought there was yeah, isn't it, interesting... It, it... D does yeah, it not also uh, I, I know nothing about this naturally but you would explain it to me when we, when we pick the name that it also involves a kind of a, like a really acute fear of separation from god and that's what the um, vigilance is yeah, kind of I, related to exactly to some yeah extent. it's almost kind of like yeah i think it's it's sort of like a paranoia almost like being like really concerned about uh yeah the this sort of a fearfulness or uh paranoia but like in a positive sense uh so mm -hmm. i think that you know it kind of fits the tone of the podcast so uh those couple of things together were sort of what inspired uh the alwara uh, frequency i'm trying to find like one emblematic little anecdote from al kusheri which i think is like a very good i don't know it's a, an encapsulation or a, a summa mm -hmm. of uh sufi uh, theology in, in the seljuk okay. era let me see if i can find a uh a very good one, uh, where you can see one of these extreme sensitivity and paranoia and, and, and fearfulness. This is one, uh, one example. Sufyan al-Thawri was seen in a dream. He had a pair of wings uh, with which he was flying from tree to tree in the Garden of Paradise. Someone asked him, by what means did you obtain them? He answered, by Wara. Uh, Hassan uh, ib uh, ibn Abu Sanan once came upon some companions of al-Hassan uh, al-Basri. Uh, and he asked, what is the most difficult thing for you? They answered, Wara. He said, there is nothing easier for me than that. They asked him how that could be. He responded, for 40 years I have not quenched my thirst by drinking from that stream of yours. Hassan uh, ibn Abu Sanan did not sleep on his side, eat cooked food or drink cold water for 60 years. Someone saw him in a dream after his death and asked him, how has God treated you? He answered, quite well. However, I am barred from entering paradise on account of a needle I borrowed and never returned. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, uh, he was decalcifying his pineal gland. He was doing constant fasting. He would never sleep on his side. He cooked food or drink cold, refreshing water. He'd only drink, you know, warm water. Uh, he was uh, very <laughs> pious and abstemious. But there was that one little detail that he missed. You know, he borrowed that needle. He never returned it. Mm. You know, he slipped up in that one way. You never uh, be too careful, another, yes, I guess. Like, uh, there's a similar, like, sort of topoi. Uh, you know, like, uh, there's another guy, uh, Abdul Wahid ibn Zayed, who has the same uh, story. He had a slave who served him for many years. He spent 40 years in worship. Before that, he had been a grain measurer. After he died, someone saw him in a dream and asked him how God had treated him. He answered, well, however, I am barred from paradise because uh, God held against me the dust of the grain measure with which I dispensed 40 measures. So, like, just a little dust of grain, you know. So that sort of hyper-focus and mm. hyper-attention and an almost uh, OCD type of paranoia that you see in... in uh, these stories or these ideas of Wara is something that I thought kind of could apply to the uh, conspiracy investigation or the uh, 
kind of uh, critically paranoid mindset that we have mm-hmm. on, on the show. That's I think it definitely fits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Not that we want to send anybody to Gulag for, you know, uh, not returning a, a pin to the, the people's commissary of office supplies or, you know, things like that. Yeah. I think we, we do believe yeah, but, in that. Uh, forgiveness. You know, this, is, this is a good Up to a point, Trotskyist. You know, mm-hmm. it's abandoning 70 kinds of permitted things out of fear of stepping into only one thing that is forbidden. So it's basically a satanic panic. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Dijolic yeah. panic, yeah. It's a dijolic <clears throat> panic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Shaitanic yeah. panic. Um. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, we can move on to number eight. Yeah. And I think that'll be our last one for for the for first half. Part, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you want to read that? Uh, sure. Uh, well, I guess I did read the last one, but... Oh, I yeah, you just read... Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll read it, I'll read it. Uh, yeah, we kind of uh, alternate and... Yeah, we, I know, I, I forgot that you did 7 feet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so Young Howler asks, what's the deal with mushrooms? Like, not even psilocybin, amanita, muscaria, just, like, the whole mycological fam. I don't know if they're inherently sus, but, like, there's a lot going on there, and it's very interesting to me, but I haven't found any satisfying discourse on it to date. Um, and then I, I think we could just bundle these in, but Bones followed up on that with seconding the fungi fascination. They're so strange and divergent from all other multicellular life. Their fossil record is poor, but they're incredibly old, like billions of years. They're my favorite candidate for an ET lineage on Earth. Mm. Hmm. That is interesting. Well. Uh, they are a, a unique thing, you know. It's, it's interesting when you learn about, like, the biological kingdoms and, like, you know, fungi are their, whole, uh, their own whole thing where it's like they're another animal, they're not plant, like, they're just these mm-hmm. weird things. Right, I think it was Young Caller who mentioned, like, microdosing psilocybin. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I haven't actually done that myself. Uh, I'm a little bit sussed out by, like, Paul Stamets, some of, the, some of these people were mentioning, I think, in the questions, but like I said, uh, I haven't done it, so, uh, yeah. yeah. I'm on the fence. I'm on the fence about it a little bit, you know. I'm a little yeah, sussed out like, by, by, by yeah. like, micro-dosing to, like, boost your productivity, I think. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, yeah I'm I sussed out by the whole... thread on Twitter where someone was like, you don't have to microdose to, like, do the dishes or take out the trash. Like, it's okay. Like, and people were really upset, like, in the comments. They're like, yes, I do. Like, how dare you imply that I don't have to microdose? Uh, mm-hmm. Like I said, you know, like, if, like, whatever, like, uh, I, like, take Vyvanse, you know, so mm-hmm. I'm not literally in a position to criticize uh, that uh, so, so much, because I do have certainly a dependency upon Vyvanse, although I, I feel like I have a sort of self-consciousness around it, but I don't know, I'm sus. I feel like, especially some of the, the new pushes that are happening around some of these drugs, including, uh, include weed in that. Yeah, no, for sure, for you sure. Know, like, there, it's it's a response to the feeling that maybe, like, the population must be narcotized. Like, we must narcotize yes. people. But <laughs> they have to be know, made like, in you know, narcophiliacs, uh, yeah. uh, narcophiles. Yes, you know? exactly. Uh, and, we must and, yeah, about and, any remaining narcophobia. Um, and we're on the road to legalizing yeah. it now, which is interesting. Uh, I mean, I will say that I would generally regard... Uh, magic mushrooms as uh, as kind of less sus than something like say LSD or a yeah, kind I of synthetic would, chemical. Because you know, as we know, it grows from the earth. You know, it comes from the yeah. earth. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
And it is a very long history. Most, most people think, yeah, and I mean, I guess lysergic acid or something. I guess it's, like, derived yeah. from ergot or whatever, but it's, but it's less, still... But at least it doesn't come from a Harvard lab. Uh, yeah. Well, that was it like, might. Yeah. Like, it might be uh, some artificially selected, engineered, like, GMO uh, mushrooms, but... You know, I think that's. I think it's, I think it's on the way with. Uh, with like, you know, um, I think they just decriminalized it in Oregon and maybe in Denver as well. They practically have like legalized wow. magic mushrooms. So that that's coming. I think that that's going to be the first psychedelic that gets kind of the, you know the Amsterdam solution of the we're going to sell this in some kind of way. There's already all kinds of like you know fancy schmancy expensive drug rehab kind of retreats that use psilocybin and ibogaine and and ketamine and things like like all of these kind of um drugs that were only popular with kind of hippie counterculture people are now being uh, there's medical research companies that are investing a lot of money and trying to get like approval to you know treat uh things like ptsd with mushrooms and i do think I mean, I think that the sure, like that is definitely something I could see how that would work with um, or with addiction. You know, even the founder of AA, Bill Wilson, I believe it was after he was like in Mexico. And I think, oh, my God, I just heard this the other day. I think it was on the rec- the, the recluse, uh, the farm podcast. But wouldn't you know that, like, I guess he ended up Bill Wilson ended up in a hospital in like Mexico and he was given a kind of old folk remedy for curing alcoholism, which was Belladonna. And he had like a crazy, like, yeah, yeah, Belladonna, the same thing like the Manson family and Candy Jones, you know, we're, we're fucking around with, which can produce like really violent um, hallucinations. But I guess, you know, people in Mexico had been using like the root as a kind of a to break the cycle of your alcoholism and now we see that with like lsd and and mushrooms as well uh kind of being like uh you know made official in the scientific research community there's more research papers and stuff coming out about it now but i do think it's always like i think when it was introduced the first time in like life magazine it was a double-edged sword with like carlos castaneda and all those guys running around talking about how great it was and then ginsburg and leary and all these people so i think there's definitely going to be like a bad side of the sword with the popularization of stuff now i mean okay the, there's all about you know psychedelic mushrooms but young howler's like just talking about mushrooms in general are they inherently sus yeah what's up with them where'd they come from we've been using the the psychedelic mm-hmm. ones i guess since nine or ten thousand bc as far back as we can tell but you know then uh, i guess the you know the the fossil record is not so good uh, or poor according to bones so you know what mm. when when did they come about They're, they do seem incredibly well, mushrooms old. are something that i would think it'd be like hard to fossilize you know hard to yeah that's fossil, true right mm-hmm. um, i think so i think so yeah well they're i feel like they're associated with death culturally probably because they feed upon death um, yeah they do they do yeah uh and yeah, so yeah, maybe a, that's uh, why I think of them as something that would decompose and return to the, the earth rather than become petrified somehow. Uh, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, God, you know, Wikipedia doesn't even give you like a timeline, like when you know. <laughs> I think it's because they I they see. don't know. Uh, well, it's like, how, saying, like when was the first plant? I mean, that's like a long yeah. time ago, man. Like they're one of the fundamental uh, things, like a fungus anyway is. Uh, mm-hmm yeah yeah um, yeah so i do uh, think they're they're interesting like they're kind of ne- like networked decentralized structure that kind of grows can grow incredibly vast kind of networks walls. that's what makes them yeah it's i feel like there's another also been a mushroom like a pro mushroom psyop like in 
our culture. I noticed, you know, I was rewatching all the Star Treks during the pandemic, and I even dipped into some of the newer ones that are just absolute shit. Like, you know, to- like at least the old Star Treks are kind of like relaxing because they're like predictable. You know, they have that rhythm, mm-hmm. like the moon upon the tides. You know, they follow these formulae. You know, every once in a while, there's one that's like kind of uh, an interesting little piece, but. Uh, you know, I watched some of the newer ones that are like uh, uh, came out in the last couple of years, and one of the aspects of that is that they they developed. You know, it's set in the past, like in terms of the Star Trek continuity, which is like makes it especially ridiculous. But like they discovered like a special network where like uh, mushrooms go through the whole universe, and like they can make you teleport, or something like something mm-hmm. like that. You know, it's like uh, mushrooms are part just of, like DMT. of reality. Like, wow. You know, okay. it's like mushroom worship. You know, the amazing mushroom. Uh, uh, worship my god the mushroom i don't know interesting uh, yeah i mean just, you know, uh, that's yeah, that's I mean, been a thing too part of a law's creation so they're 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 cool and everything i mean again like pigs are also part of a law's creation so like let's be like chill i mean of course they're just you know mushrooms in general i think are, are fine to eat as far as i know uh i'm autistic so like i'm not all about like eating mushrooms like they create spongy uh weird rubbery things Yes, exactly. <laughs> like I wouldn't even know. Uh, I love mushrooms. So, like, I love I'm eating kind mushrooms. Of, like, I, I don't know. You yeah, know, I'm not the right person uh, to be like giving you know any kind of like pro mushroom statement. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of you know uh, I'm a fungophobe. I'm a fungophobe. <laughs> You're fungophobic. Uh, wow. Yeah, I'm fungophobic. Uh, confirmed, folks. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Exposed at last. Yeah, I, I do like it. the I idea that it might be. The idea that it might be, like, an alien intelligence intelligence that was left behind, it, I mean, it gets close to, like, the stoned ape theory, but it also is kind of, like, an interesting... I, I always think it's in, it's fascinating to think about certain, I don't know, either animals or plants or things like that that somehow could have, like, gotten here from, you know, panspermia or some other mm-hmm. reason. And it's just, like, you would never know it. You'd never have any reason to really think about it but like the yeah mushrooms are so kind of weird and different in particular uh, and they have these interesting properties that other things kind of don't have. i mean i guess there's psychedelic plants aren't there psychedelic frogs that you can lick i mean there's a number yeah, of things that excrete lick, yeah yeah so it's not the only one <laughs> but at the same time like it's uh yeah yeah they're they're very fascinating and again, yeah, I don't want to go full but you know what? I theory, actually but. do truffles. You know, sometimes truffles are like okay. You yeah, know, truffles, truffles are good. Yeah, mm-hmm. truffles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something that pigs love to hunt for. So I don't know. Yes, maybe that's, I mean it's not so good. But anyway. <laughs> uh, Anyways, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I do. I'm not sure that mushrooms come from another planet because I think mushrooms really are, you know, to their credit, really deeply entwined with. I mean, if they are from another planet, they would be like a connection of our pale blue dot you know an hour uh moat of dust suspended in the sunbeam <laughs> with the rest of the cosmos because they really are very much enmeshed uh literally in the all the ecosystems of earth you know like they're like the primary thing that decomposes stuff you know they're a really big yeah. part of like earth biomes so uh you're yeah, right i think that if they come from space then like there is they're very They've certainly assimilated. Uh, you yeah, know, they're, they're def- maybe they're, they're the really, original they're the good kind of immigrant. Uh, if they are, yeah, <laughs> are they? I wonder if they're the first kind of cybernetic organism in the real proper sense. You mean because they involve networks? Yeah, yeah. Well, and they I they like, like spread. Any multicellular organism could theoretically, I don't know. But eh, I yeah, guess they so. Spread, yeah. but, I mean, so do plants. You know, plants with seeds. Uh, 
Yeah, and I guess they're just they're obsessed with like you know psychedelia, so I don't know. It makes it feel more uh, the original side. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, that's like I could see what you were getting. Are they at all there, like drone? But, uh, are they dronified by like is there is there a hypno king? They don't uh, like exactly. They, they just like they're just drones. They just spread spores. They're literally drones. Uh, oh my in god! In fact, isn't there a kind of fungus like a sus fungus that like infests ants and makes them like yes. climb to the top of trees yeah that's yeah. us that's yeah and then it like own. and then it like it it like bursts out of them like the alien you know like yeah, a chest burster kind of and mm-hmm. it makes them like uh get themselves or maybe i'm thinking of another thing but there's like a bunch of different fu- uh, mind control fungus like that that yeah like makes a snail or something like light up its antennae so that it will get eaten because the fungus needs to go into like the feces of a cat or something i don't know like yeah I, yeah yeah no it's something really gibberish, wild the point is no there is yeah, something like that yeah it, it, it's yeah. kind of chilling when you think about it uh maybe yeah. like you know i don't want you know uh, i don't know i'm sure that mushrooms would help with uh yeah watch like, out what sissy if you're taking some kind of uh harvard developed psilocybin uh cocktail you know, uh, to increase your productivity, and then suddenly, like, you just want to, like, I don't know, commit a mass shooting so that you can get your blood into, I don't know, the the dirt to help it reproduce. I don't know. Uh, yeah, right. I wonder. There, I wonder if there's some awful department full of, you know, full of Nazis that tried to like find that fungus and then adapt it so that it could be done to humans in some way. I'm sure you that know, that's I'm like sure under they thought of everything. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's under yeah. development now. I'm sure the reason why like I've read about that like in a million BuzzFeed articles is because of those are like uh putting feelers out to find like bright young biological minds who can like weaponize uh-huh. this fungus. Like Oh, yeah. like we uh, we could inject this fungus to like stop Parkinson's but also mind control people. You know, like that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, you uh, know, oh it'll could be used cause suicide bombers to run into uh brick walls or something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> this could neutralize terror tunnels uh, effectively. <laughs> Uh, oh no yeah yeah so it's you know i mean uh we we honor our, our mushroom companions on this planet but also uh mm, yeah. respect their powers and maybe you know don't just go all in on the mushrooms uh i mean if you're just eating them you know for in your pizza or something that's cool but you know psychedelically just be careful mushrooms can be a little more of a of, of a wild ride i think sometimes you know uh mm-hmm. if you're ever to do them uh just do them in a I mean, chill setting why are uh, not, fairies uh, always why are fairies always hanging out under mushrooms like what's that all about Is yeah you're right with disney be... and stuff yeah i think even pre-disney hard to believe you know in hmm. the in the era yeah. of you know uh the cultural abyss that was before disney <laughs> the real dark ages anything yeah uh, there's still an idea of like fairies you know uh, and toadstools uh yeah right yeah yeah, yeah. i guess even you know yeah, we were I mean, all incepted with super mario uh probably funded by like y- corporate yakuza money from like stolen right. japanese oh, fa- gold yeah, and the fairy circles the fairy circles you know that's a, nat- a naturally occurring ring of mushrooms what's that all about that's cybernetic that's sus hmm interesting interesting yes yeah yeah well a lot a lot of sustenance i there. don't know about that yeah <laughs> hmm. i don't know yeah i don't yeah. know at all it br- you probably would identify this as like sus is that you know it, it it's critical and you know fermentation fungus and so you know wine beer most types of alcohol uh leavened bread 
and soy sauce. Wait, so do, do most it, types of alcohol require mushrooms? Really? I, not not mushrooms. No, no. I, I'm just talking about like or, a fungus, fungi in general. Oh, so like, really? So like yeast, okay. you know, like uh, yeah, yeast, mold, and mushrooms, all under the uh, yeah, the fung- fungi sense. banner. So you think about it, like soy sauce, like they're making your kids into like sissy hypno, you know, like destroying their yeah. testosterone. So you got that. You got soy sauce, yeah, yeast is beer, That's wine, leavened bread. There's almost like something for every every Abrahamic religion to not like about fungus, you know? Yeah. You got a bunch of leavened bread. I guess leavened bread is the, okay. Yeah, I do like yeah, leavened bread. So that's something. That that makes yeah. me separate from the... Uh, I mean, I, I would distinguish yeast-based yeast from mushrooms, which are a bit more sus, maybe. Um, but yeast is yeah, used for know. alcohol. Fun- there's mm, a lot so. of different fungus. Yeah, uh-oh, that's bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So, I mean, is there the Syapa? Is this like the gla- intergalactic opium war, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or mushrooms all... what uh, Harut and Marut or um, the Watchers in the Book of Enoch brought to mankind. Uh, was that one of the technologies that they, they brought down from uh, the angelic dominions? Really? Uh, they brought fungus? Well, no, mushrooms? I'm just speculating. You oh, know, okay. Well, yeah, or like when, you know, uh, Anki and like the, uh, what's it called? Those guys that were in Mesopotamia who did everything, who we haven't talked about mm-hmm. yet. God, who are, who am I thinking of right now? The Anunnaki, uh, of course. Anki? Yeah, the, oh, Anu- the, Anunnaki. the Anunnaki. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When right. they were coming down here doing their, like, you know, genetic experiments and stuff, maybe they brought down... Uh, some fungus. I'm looking at the Wikipedia article for Fairy Ring right now, and there's an amazing illustration uh, from, I guess, uh, British Goblins, Welsh Folklore Fairy Mythology. Uh, it was published in 1880, and it's a depiction of a guy, like, pulling his friend out of a fairy ring, uh, which is, you know, like a circle, of, and there's just all these dancing little sprites, and, like, you know, this guy just looks, like, horrified, uh, and there's, like, a, a dark... There's a fairy king with his face shadowed. Kind of looks a little bit like a certain uh, blurry gin. Uh oh. And uh, oh, yeah, his poor friend. Oh, I, is like, <laughs> I think I fairies. see it here. Yeah. Oh, this is terrifying. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. So whenever you see a circle of of mushrooms, it's believed that that's a fairy ring. Yeah. Uh, or a elf circle, elf ring, pixie ring, uh, possibly related to witchcraft and or the devil. Uh, just watch out. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, don't don't step in that fairy ring. Wow, they're all over. Jeez. Okay, I'm. Yeah. I didn't know about this, but I'm Why? glad I did. <sighs> yeah. 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 Why do they grow in a out. circle like that? What are these mushrooms up to? You know, are they are they summoning fairies? Oh my god. What Honestly, if they're like the stargate? Like in the in the moss uh, in Iceland in this picture. Yeah. Uh, they're like kind of like mini crop circles. Exactly. I thought the same exact circles. thing. They're like, they're kind yeah. of a conscious symbols almost like, like runes or something. And they're yeah. also kind of like, like pedo spirals. I don't know. Um, also look like <laughs> your ranchia logo as well, which just looks like a big bullseye. So that's interesting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Wow. Um, yeah. The, Watch uh, out. Yeah, watch out. Um, so, all right, we'll we'll take a pause there. I guess we don't have to say goodbye yet because we're well. Yeah. Yeah, we'll be back. It, this is like we're halfway through, so we don't have to necessarily <laughs> sign off. We can just drift no. out into like perusing all these wacky images of fairy rings and and art. Um, yeah, absolutely. Fawn and the fairies, terrifying portrait. Um, uh, yes. 
It is wow. a terrifying portrait. It's 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 horrifying, and the uh, the enchanted piper is also <laughs> pretty upsetting. Uh, here, like oh uh, god, <laughs> that uh, that's uh, somebody's great 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 grandfather in uh, Hartford, Connecticut, yes. in like sixteen sixty, <laughs> uh, making their first pact with the fairy gin. No, oh there's <laughs> yeah, so many of the them. <laughs> Yeah, you see them <laughs> dancing under their little mushrooms. They love it so much. I'm just saying. Wow. Oh my God, sus. Yeah, not your friend. Um, yeah, they're they're never gonna be good.